Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the picture palace of the past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo brings you a monster-sized double bill from the 1950s, the era of sci-fi gone mad, where the atomic age and the boon of terrifying tales from beyond the stars were the places to be at the drive-in or at your local picture show. You would shriek in terror, you would gasp for breath, or even get in closer with your significant other, in the hope that the intimacy would protect you from the whole horrors flickering upon the silver screen. Tonight, the tradition continues as our projector is set up for a double bill to gobsmack your senses and make you pause after the fright has been unveiled. First, you will see a town in absolute terror as an unknown object from outer space creeps and crawls in its most oozy fashion with only Steve McQueen to stop it in 1958's The Blob. Then stick around for the legends of kaiju dwelling within the deep sea caverns of Japan, only to be unleashed once more, once more by the folly of man and his atomic supremacy with Ishiro Honda 1954 seminal masterpiece Gajira, or as it's known by stateside, Godzilla. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. Dave! Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. You gotta come now. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the doc. Well, what was it? Stop with it, kid. Well, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting... Bigger and bigger it. Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. Boy, that was close. Hey, come on, I want to see if I can find it. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. (laughs) 
It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. ゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京栄光に来たゴジラは東京
With me today are two gentlemen whose penchant for all things horrific and all things rockin' have catapulted them to the realm of admiration and respect as the hosts of the magnificent podcast, The Punk Rock Horror Podcast. Please welcome Krampus Cody and Undead Matt. Hello. 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 Admiration. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Admiration. First of all, Matt, you are technically a return guest because you were on Shanley. Welcome back. Who's this fucker you brought into this? I I realized I needed a co-host for this interview, so I was just like, hey, man, you want a sandwich? And like, no, this is uh, my brother from another, my longtime friend, the guy that I would sell a kidney over twice for, um, my buddy, my co-host, Krampus Cody himself. If I wake up in a bathroom tomorrow, I'll know what happened yeah, yeah i'll I be like are you okay I, for you, buddy. <laughs> I should just emerge from the bathtub at that point going like but can't, but but uh, like the wizard in the wizard of us but cody you had the power to get a kidney all along <laughs> and i provided it thanks asshole you're welcome <laughs> no, thank you I, I had a dream that my kidneys were sold on the black market and you were there and you were there and you were there auntie m <laughs> it's like well guess what it wasn't the black market auntie <laughs> m you kept laughing the was, entire time it's really unsettling why dorothy it was just nothing but a bunch of local podcasters <laughs> Your worst nightmare. Do you want to come on for an interview? <laughs> hey, I wrote a podcast. I got you want to guest star on this one? <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys too. <laughs> Black market wizard of kidney wizard of Oz. <laughs> I can honestly like say I, I, full disclosure, by the time this episode appears, we'll have already unveiled our episode on freaks with Smokey from Rated H. And we got into some dark territory there, not just because of the subject, but also we go on tangents. Mm-hmm. I think you two topped him. And <laughs> oh, no. Is that good? I think it is good. I think it is good. Are you one sure? Of, one of the things on this show is I'm not like I'm not trying to be too snooty when it comes to talking about Golden Age Hollywood or pretty yeah. early cinema. I want to have some fun and relax. And I think mm-hmm. you guys have created the darkest vision that L. Frank Baum never gave us. <laughs> and it's really his, it's, it's retroactively all his fault. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you a little but before we get into the discussion of the films you brought for us today, mm-hmm. tell me, tell the Ballyhoo audience about Punk Rock Horror Podcast, because on the surface, you'd think right away, like, OK, it's all another horror movie show. But you guys go beyond that. You don't just talk about horror films. You also talk mm-hmm. about different elements of horror pop culture, pop culture in general. And you also profile punk bands yeah. um, specifically and a lot of them coming from this local area here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit how that got started. Uh, yeah. So actually how it got started was really funny is Matt just kind of came up to me one night. I'm pretty sure it was after a night of drinking. Oh no, and, we, I, I was working. Oh, were you working? Yeah, I was, okay, I, I was working was a at night. night. I was working a swing shift at the I time. I was probably drinking. You more like, <laughs> I think you told me you were drinking and I'm like, okay, are you sober enough for me to run an idea by you? Yes. <laughs> As there's like, going on in the background because, you know, we were allowed in places back then. <laughs> Just, get, just Matt. I'm just envisioning Matt in a suit going like, so I have a proposal for you. Yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, you just see yeah, it. Yeah, well, okay, turns all around. Where's the blow? Flashing lights behind me and I'm doing a shot. Yeah, it's summer. Wow. It, it, it's basically everything I think the 80s is come to life. <laughs> 80s all the time. <laughs> so yeah, he came up to you and you basically, uh, he pitched you the idea then. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it, it was cool. Like the way he pitched it too is just kind of like we, it was after we 
we kind of went on like a really big span of like hanging out almost every week, which is really hard for us because we live, uh, I live up in Fort Collins and he lives down here in Denver mm-hmm. and then just matching times. Cause also at the time, uh, I was working like three jobs. So it was just always hard. And we just ha- got lucky with like a good span of being able to hang out. And we just, we kept talking about horror movies. And I mm-hmm. think there was like a bunch of new horror movies coming out at the time that we were really excited for. I don't remember which ones, but uh, we were, this we were also like, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I keep like leaning backwards. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget though. We were also like in a band at the time, but yeah, you had we your... were trying to start a band at the time too. And I fucked up my shoulder. Uh, my tor- re injured a torn rotator cuff. Cause like, I got tore that my freshman year of college doing swing dancing. Oh. And nice. I, yeah, <laughs> I used to actually, uh, I admire that. Thanks. See, actually... that's where the admiration comes from. <laughs> Cody can swing dance. Yeah. I actually used to run the, the club at CSU and ran the swing dance, the, competitive team and everything over at csu and so my uh i ended up tearing my rotator cuff trying to do one of the aerials that we were supposed to do which is basically throwing a girl in the air doing flips in the air with her and stuff and catching her um and so uh i ended up tearing my rotator cuff and then because you know i'm a poor college kid and i come from a poor family we don't have medical can't go to the hospital so I did nothing about it. Now it constantly pops. And then me and Matt started practice. I started practicing more on my drums. And because uh, me and Matt were trying to do this two piece band, because like he really talked me into it about taking me to a couple shows where we saw some two piece bands. And then he's, he was sending me more music and stuff because we always wanted to try and do a band, but it just times never worked out. And we yeah. finally had this. And then I could fuck my shoulder up again. And Matt was like, hey. I got an idea for you. <laughs> and, and as we established you at the barn, you were just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, but that's interesting because like, back to the blow. No, but, sorry. But, that, but that makes sense. Given <laughs> back to the, back to the blow. Sorry. The Matt sorry. and Cody story. <laughs> yeah. The Matt and Cody story behind the music. <laughs> Which blow is it? I, I'll, I'll do a special introduction at the top of going like the story you're about to see, ladies and gentlemen, is a tragic one, but it's also fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's a hell of a ride. <laughs> you, th- you thought the movie blow was interesting you haven't seen shit <laughs> you, Deb, eat your heart out. you don't even know the meaning of blow no. you've seen this. yeah no exactly <laughs> with all due respect to ted demi i think i one-upped him <laughs> but um so so but that makes sense because you guys were actively engaged in trying to in working to create the art form your passion for it draws from there so your mm-hmm. fellow creatives extending out that knowledge base mm-hmm. and what I love about the show, like uh, uh, putting aside the the film element from it, is, is that the way you are spotlighting local artists, the way you are mm-hmm. giving a, a platform to people who, in a current age where finding an audience is difficult because democratization of media is both a blessing and a curse, yeah, um, yeah. Is, is that you guys give them that space, you give them the opportunity, and it also extends into other things. Like our our friend Erin McGarry yeah, yeah. Has, has done stuff for you as well. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's a total powerhouse. Just quick shout out to her because I know yeah. she's oh, yeah. she's been going through some like uh, pretty personal like medical stuff, and just want to mm-hmm. say that she's. A total powerhouse of like creative influence and just she's the a reason badass. she's the reason I want to get back into Twin Peaks because I, I see <laughs> all of her posts for it and I'm like I gotta rewatch this show God and I haven't seen the return yet so that's mm-hmm. also another impetus for it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. so you guys giving that space though is very inspiring so the admiration and respect is a valid statement Mr M- Mr Martin. <laughs> I'm not going Thank to you. no I I yeah, do yeah. I do believe you when you say oh, I yeah. uh just c- kind of like the band aspect I mean me and Cody you know started podcasts as artists and still are artists and so mm-hmm. we're always going to have that 
type of you know entertaining or artist mindset so we're always each other's worst critics you know yeah worst yeah, yeah I that, do. That, oh my god i'm in such a terrible slump right now with some stuff i'm working on what do you it's all because like i'm on myself like i just you know everyone's yeah. your own worst critic and like you, you, it's because you, you overthink it yeah you overthink and there's it. like a couple things i need to send to matt or i want to send it to him just so he can like i can get his opinion but i'm just like no it's terrible because <laughs> i'm locked in my house i can't socialize right. i can't go to the coffee shop to like do this where i normally do or like yeah you know it's like there's just everything's around so you just get in your head I, more. <laughs> i've been i've been i've been lucky in the respect that because of what i do for that creative process we've had to get creative with how to uh commiserate together in order to like for filmmaking like we had to figure out what covid protocols were in order to make a short film mm -hmm. and even then we limited it to one location and whatnot now we're working on trying to do one with a a few more locations involved. Um, yeah. It's um. It, and and even the year before when we were working on a horror film, like getting that community together and like in not feeling too confident in yourself, like that's mm -hmm. a that's a mutual feeling. But you guys, what I love is that you do keep an upbeat approach to everything. Try um, oh, thank you. And I think yeah, like, sometimes we, we're like. I feel like I was in the mud on that yeah, one. No. I feel like we go, there's times where we're just like, I feel like we talk about way too much about politics recently. Well, we I, should probably stare away from that for a moment. Well, I think that, I, well, and I, and I, I, I get that feeling daily, especially with this show, because, because we're talking about what some people call outdated media and other call eternal classics. And I'm like, well, it's in the middle guys, yeah. but, uh, is, is basically like, there's so much that bears down on you that it does help to step aside and go, well, sometimes these are just for fun. Like I just did an episode on Chop Around the Corner with Jimmy Stewart, which is mm -hmm. the basis for You Got Mail. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a movie that's like literally coated in sugar and smacked around by sunshine. Like it is a, it is that kind of like pleasant time. And so like occasionally we find a way to break away from those topics. But you guys do have a genuinely uh, positive outlook on what the world can be mm -hmm. while you just even as you're discussing it in that depressing mainframe yeah, yeah. um but, <laughs> but you also talk about horror films which is one of the yeah. reasons why i found out about you guys in the first place yeah. and i think that the i mean i told you when i when we went to the it chapter two screening like the first thing that got me hooked on you guys was you guys talking about michael haneke's versions of funny green Bo both versions of funny <laughs> yeah. because i was like i have never heard another podcast talk about these films back to back i'm doing this and then and and i got hooked because i'm just like that's a that's a situation where a director's remaking his own film and then really just decides to to, to just go in some in not in the different yeah. directions but like he tries to actively do something upon himself that he didn't do the first time, mm -hmm. which is something that I didn't see with the man who knew too much with Alfred Hitchcock. So, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, the, it's the same situation. Only I think Henneke technically does a better job doing it. Um, but you guys also wear your passion for positivity and like, and that and saluting the things that you love in a way that I, I think is very important to this community in general, like Colorado podcasters in general. So, um, but I want to ask you, I'll ask you these both as kind of like a twofold question. What is your experience with Golden Age Hollywood or early cinema pre the 70s or pre-1968 specifically? And why did you pick these two titles out of any titles that you could have picked? I'm going to let you take this one because yes, I, like, yeah. I feel like the first yeah. time I came on, I kind of Yes, you did. Yeah. yeah. And so, I will refer okay. people back to his shamley for that, too, because it had a lot to do with yeah. Hitchcock. And I could touch on it again, but Cody, yeah. please. Yes, absolutely. Cody, tell me. 
You're wearing a lovely bogeyman shirt, by the way. Oh, I thank love you. It. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, sorry, just a little, I just go outside tangent. I got a couple of these. I'm going to get a couple more. They are uh, over at Spencer's. They have all the mainline slashers. Like uh, I have Pennywise and I have Freddy. Um, there's a child's play one they didn't have. And, uh, but I didn't, I, I'm going to get it once I can find it, but they turned them all into tarot cards. And oh, so like this, so that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, it's a tarot yeah. card. Yeah. And so, uh, Freddie says the dreamer. Yep. Pennywise is just Pennywise. I thought that was actually kind of funny, even though yeah. I was like, could have said the clown, but yeah, like, that right? makes sense. Like the, the jester. <laughs> you know? The jester, you know. Spencer's gifts. Then, you can't do any better than that. This is 100% of shots you don't take. Um, I didn't see the scream one, but I, my favorite's Chucky because it just says the good guy. <laughs> because like, I'm like, ah, oh, everything he does is so tongue in cheek. And, 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 lo- and then he looks at that shirt and he goes, very fucking funny. <laughs> Stab. <laughs> Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> he does that thing that I love in the Child's Play movies. And we hate movies podcast is the one that pointed us out is anytime he goes for a kill, he goes. <laughs> Look, when but, you're when you are smaller than the majority of the yeah, population, you gotta, you gotta do it. You got, yeah, you know, before just like every, a bear, make yourself look big. <laughs> just say like, I'm just imagining before every kill. So like in the second one, when he kills the teacher with the fucking like uh, <laughs> the ruler, uh, the ruler and the hose pump. Because he gets her in the chest with the hose pump first. That's how he knocks her out of the yeah, thing. And then, and then he, he beats like, her through. <laughs> I was just imagining myself before like she gets in there. He's holding the bicycle pump. And he's just like, you can fucking do this. You can murder her. Come on. <laughs> I know you're only two feet tall, but you got this. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing overalls. But they're, they're, they're barely overalls. These are barely right, overalls. Yeah, right before she opens the door, he's like, cowabunga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, oh, my God. But, yeah, what am I taking to murder town, motherfucker? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're, no, you're fine. Um. Going back to the subject, actually, uh, what got, got really got me into horror, especially the Golden Age films and everything, actually was my mom and Hitchcock. Hmm. And funny enough is that, uh, so I always loved telling stories when I was a kid. I just, I loved going on tangents. Hey, and Cody, stuff thanks like for watching my shit. <laughs> You're welcome, chubby. <laughs> or you motherfucker. <laughs> I could take it from him. I can't take it from you. <laughs> just don't throw live and don't throw live birds at women. <laughs> or attaching to oh, oh, research. Birds. Take that you, you, know, you know what? Very fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's like yeah, but but um, yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah. He got she got you into that. Yeah, she got me into Hitchcock. And funny, but like the funny thing was is that I never watched a full Hitchcock movie when I was like little. Mm-hmm. Um, she always just told me, you know, watch Hitchcock. She'd tell me the stories i watched snippets of psycho and the birds was probably my first hitchcock movie i watched all the way through mm-hmm. well it was either bird no no vertigo actually was it when i was really little vertigo was my first hitchcock movie but i was really little so i only remember the fall scene i was like, gonna say that's an intense movie to yeah, be shown at a young but age. i mean my mom took me to Fair. backdraft at disneyland when i was like two so, oh, so you're already yeah, an extreme I was child to that anyway. kind of stuff <laughs> to be fair, though, his mom also is an expert chef so yeah she can just oh like, she taught me how to cook and she everything. can put him to sleep at night with just like delicious pies basically nice. but um <laughs> yeah she got me into that and then stephen king that's actually the big. She let me watch every Stephen King movie whenever it was on, and the very first Stephen King movie I actually watched was um, parts of High Overdrive, and then it was that uh, Salem's Lot. 
was mm. actually probably the first big one I watched. And then uh, so I just kind of got hooked on Stephen King. I started trying to read his books, mm-hmm. but I could uh, I tried reading Cujo, but I just got <laughs> I got so fed up with it because it was slow. And, you know, Stephen King books are really thick. And so I wasn't really into watching horror or reading horror. I loved watching horror. Yeah. So then so then does the Stephen King stuff like does it because a lot of what Stephen King ends up doing with some of the he uses horror imagery that he clearly mm-hmm. saw as a kid in those earlier films. Mm-hmm. Like Salem's Lot is Nosferatu yeah. across the board. Actually, funny enough, if you go to one of our earliest episodes, we did a whole bio on Stephen King. Mm, that and was like, like that our was first a, year or two. Dude. That was 2019. Yeah, that was in our first year. That was we in did our first a, year. That was, no, that, that was, was 20, second year. That Shit. was 2019. I'm pretty positive. Well, anyway, we, we COVID, talked about man. that. Yeah, COVID's fucked up so many years. Yeah. <laughs> this is way before COVID when we did that. But uh, but yeah, it was that. Maybe you're and then my mom, my dad started getting me to horror a little bit more because he noticed I just liked the horror. And he, but he didn't want me to watch like my dad used to be pretty religious. Mm-hmm. And so anything that had to deal with demons or even some slashers he just wasn't comfortable with so he showed me godzilla <laughs> and my dad so, so, so this is like perfect choice yeah, for us and, today then and he started my very first godzilla movie was godzilla versus mecha godzilla when like the good one where like mecha godzilla is dressed up as as godzilla and they have the big fight in the like the power plant in the beginning yeah. and then he fights the dog thing and then godzilla comes out and they're like fuck you motherfucker rips his head off <laughs> that's like my that's what my dad that's how i got started into monsters was that and then after my dad noticed i like those and same with my mom my mom didn't care as much she's like you like something i'm gonna just let you go with it okay and so i like that and then my dad started showing me the godzilla movies and then he let me watch predator when i was around 10 and so like it just slowly kind of went from there and so my dad would watch the movies first and then i would get to watch it but like it was mostly my mom with the whole Alfred Hitchcock. And so any of the old old time horror movies, uh, mostly Hitchcock and a little bit of the old movies. My dad showed me actually the original Wolfman, Frankenstein and Dracula, uh, Bela Lugosi and everything. But it all does. And it all does tie in. And I, mm-hmm. and, and, I and I'm glad that you extended out in those reaches, because, you know, the, the thing about horror that I've learned is, is that. I'm a, I'm a weird case because I, 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 I was a little limited in what I could watch initially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so the universal monster movies were almost just like the safest bet to pick. Yeah. And so that's why I got into Dracula and Frankenstein as early on as I did and invisible man, especially. Mm-hmm. But so that's good that like Hitchcock kind of kicks off a lot of stuff. And then you mm-hmm. also, and you guys are, you guys have are well read enough on this, that you guys have delved backward as well as the forward that you deal mm-hmm. with in terms of this genre. And this is a genre that, has a lot of variations and whatnot. And so oh, Godzilla yeah. being an influence, mm-hmm. I think does like lend into like the, uh, cause it's interesting. It is a golden age era film or early cinema era cinema film, but it also is like, it's almost like the extension off of what something like the universal monsters were able to start with. It's like, okay, the, the mm-hmm. unknown, something terrifying but now we're applying the scientific method to it essentially yeah. with, <laughs> with the science and whatnot but that's cool so then you've got so you've got a you've got a you've got a good uh a good boiled pot going of a bunch of different influences that yeah. give you that fuel and that fire mm-hmm. um and then i know that you mr matt yes 
had been exposed to the Universal Monsters and Hitchcock and such early on too. Um, yeah. And then as well as you, you had mentioned Twilight Zone on your episode, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So like one yeah, thing. Yeah. Sorry, that was when Twilight Zone was a big one yeah. for my mom too. We, R- Rod we Serling's the up there going like, "You didn't remember me." Imagine yeah. a world where Cody is about to get his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, now you're like... in the scary door. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, solitude. I can read books for all eternity. It's not fair. It's, it's not, not fair. fair. Oh, lucky I know how to read bail. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> hey, look at that weird mirror. <laughs> Cursed by his own hubris. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love actually I love the one where he goes like, oh, but you've got to believe me. Why should I believe you? You are Hitler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> Help me, Ava. And then Ava takes her mask off and she's a giant fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh for me, I mean, yeah, it was a lot of like what I talked about last time, just like waking up like having hard time sleeping or waking up too early and just watching Twilight Zone. But one thing I didn't really touch on at that time that I didn't really think about was like the the influence I had from like my mom, my dad and my sister at the time um, when I was younger. So like my mom, she was she still is loves Western movies, loves. I don't think there's anybody on this planet that loves them more than my mom. And I will fight them on that. <laughs> like, Even like, more than most dads. Yeah, I, she, I, she will put him to shame. <laughs> she, I like this woman. Yeah, yeah she, uh, but so, you know, when I couldn't go to sleep, I would either, I would watch ER with her, which got me into gore. And then I watched. And George Clooney. Yeah, and George Clooney, especially the Clooney. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, like Golden Age Cinema, like that was mostly in Westerns. And then my dad's side of things, when he could be home and we, you know, we would hang out, he'd always try to connect with me and things that I was into. And like, like he knew that I liked things that I would scare me, but I also didn't like being scared. So he tried finding movies that were more my style and we had like uh an, an old we had the rca you know uh tv mm-hmm. and we had like a full drawer filled with vhs tapes and like some of them in there were like the original vhs of like um the werewolf and frankenstein and um mel brooks's young frankenstein mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i watched you know wolfman and frank i watched i watched wolfman and fell asleep in my dad's arms to it and I did the same thing, but I stayed awake for Frankenstein and Mel Brooks, young Frankenstein. And, you know, I started just watching some more horror movies. And then my sister, where she played into it, she obviously was watching more of the modern 90s movies at the time. So, like, Starship Troopers is probably one of the most prominent ones I could think of. And so, like, I remember it vividly where, like, she didn't want me to watch Starship Troopers because she thought I couldn't handle it. But I was (laughs) always sneaking around to like just see like scenes of like either like dudes faces being you know burned off by like insect acid or like (laughs) or just like people being ripped in half by insects little do you know as a young man growing looking at the imagery you know you have no idea of when you rewatch and you go like oh is this a it's a it's a commentary on propaganda yeah (laughs) when you brought up starship troopers is that like my dad let me watch that all the fucking time as long as i covered my eyes during the sex scene so i could watch people getting decapitated see, my, but titties no way see, that was far more effective because my sister's like fine you can watch this but i don't want you watching anybody dying because i don't want to hear about it from mom and dad not thinking that with my eyes closed i can still hear oh my god oh, oh my god, god there's blood everywhere like, my eyes. <laughs> you know because like hearing that is is better than seeing it I guess. yeah no exactly <laughs> i think well and I, I, it does actually you're you're correct because like you mean if you watch those older universal movies especially it's what you're not seeing that ends up getting, 
I mean, we don't like we don't see the little girl in Frankenstein die. No, but no. we see her cradled in her father's arms as she's mm-hmm. carrying as he's carrying her through town. And, and that was polarizing to me. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. it was when I saw that the first time. I didn't think you could do that in movies because, like, I was watching stuff like you know Pokemon and Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. You know, like, well, that's a different type of very horror. much so. <laughs> it's just, it's just, still, though, just like the that, Go on, Chase. that final you scene. You can make it without just, me. Like, just, Shadow. <laughs> that pad scene the, the, of just the hill of their house and just, just shadow shadow oh, shadow, <laughs> shadow. <Jeez. laughs> my boy my boy this is, this is what happens when Don Amici plays a dog the whole world goes to a weird place <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like no I haven't seen anything where it was like essentially even though the kid we didn't see the kid die like a dead kid yeah, yeah. Uh, in a movie I didn't that was the first time I saw that and I was like I'm okay to watch this. Yeah. And, that, well, and, <laughs> and, that, and that's a good entry point to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm getting from this is that you guys have, you guys have run the gamut through all the mm-hmm. different sections that you can get from. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the question before we jump into the two films we're discussing, because mm-hmm. they have some interesting production histories and some interesting plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, one of them very sincere, the other one with Steve McQueen. Um, but both of them of an interesting point, uh, in film history, but why did you pick the Blob and Godzilla? Now you kind of already talked Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was my introduction. We need we need a we need a <laughs> we, need, we need an extrapolation on the Blob here. <laughs> so, I, for me, I mean, like, I wish I had like a very deep like philosophical reason for the Blob, but I think the reason why I just love the Blob is well, one, I, I was a huge fan of the the eighties remake. Which I Chuck Russell's one, yeah, yeah. I, and I'll still That's stand behind is a fantastic remake and is worth far more praise. And I and I, it just saddens me that it's kind of like fallen. I'm glad that ears. it's been getting a resurgence in the last couple of years Hell with a re-release. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, Hell yeah. and actually, that's one where I want to thank our show. For that. Yeah, now I just yeah. want to <laughs> now I just need <laughs> no. a game like Dead by Daylight, but just as the Blob. Oh my but, god! <laughs> but like, <laughs> what the Blob did when it's when it came out? I mean, it's. From from just like a first glance, it's obvious, you know, just an alien from outer space coming to take over a world, take over a town and eat it. And, you know, so how do you make that, you know, tangible? How do you make that investment worthy? Why why should anybody invest in that? And really, it's just what any kid did with their toys is that you mm-hmm. made your own cities and you had whether it was toy dinosaurs or toy Barbies or toy Power Rangers or whatever, you know, you would have them destroy your town. And I and I and I immediately remember like in in daycare and preschool, I would take out my little uh, my lunch pack at my ice lunch pack, the gel one, and I'd wait till it's warm and pretend it's the blob. And there was just something so cool about watching a movie where it didn't where it was just that it was just a basic blob covering a town and killing it and, and destroying it. And I think what was so cool about um, just watching the Steve McQueen one, too, is that, you know, Steve McQueen's having to make. Again, this little pink reddish mass into something terrifying, and which so I, which I'd argue succeeds, mm-hmm. and it does, and and that's and you know rewatching and going through it now, you know I'm older now and more versed in horror. Um, <laughs> now I want what we love now. about horror. What we invest in horror is that it gives us fear, it makes us vulnerable, it makes us fear the things that we don't want to face. So like coming back to like Stephen King, you know, mm-hmm. um, any notable horror icon, legend, or, or content creator, artist in the medium that's lived or is still living um 
has always been able to way to find that find those small little things that make us fearful at night that make mm-hmm. us scared of the dark corners that make us scared of walking home alone and they're able to put it in an artistic way for us to enjoy maybe get terrified by or maybe just laugh at because of how ridiculous it is and truly you know i'm not and i'm not gonna say like you know the blob is a metaphor for anything you know and, yeah, and to I'm, some I'm, people I'm, it is and to some it is i'm but. gonna i'm gonna make the argument that the metaphor the metaphor is having a good time yeah <laughs> <Because> that- <laughs> But truly, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to artistic expression and, you know, art is defined by the eye, the viewer. It's a subjective Mm -hmm. art form as we've as you and I have talked about and as I've talked about others. Yeah. Yeah. But does it I always argue, does it always have to have a significant metaphorical meaning for you to enjoy it? And if it doesn't, does that make it have any less value? And I say, no, it never has and it never does. And that's what The Blob did for me. It it was one horror movie that I could just watch endlessly with my mom. That was one that she even loved to watch with me that didn't terrify me, that didn't give me nightmares, but gave me that thrill, gave me that love. I mean, just seeing, uh, you know, people... (laughs) bones be thrown out of this little pink mask whether it's the 80s version or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or the, the yeah. original of course the yeah. original um there's just something Bo- both about have it. an equal value in terms of how they're handling their kills yeah. as we'll talk about because I, mm-hmm. I i was actually there's there's a there's a there's a couple moments in the blob the the mcqueen version from 58 where i'm like this isn't like this isn't like chilling my bones, but like this is unsettling. <laughs> it's yeah, well, and it's and even if you don't get the even if you don't get an unsettling fell from it, like the Steve McQueen one now just has that nostalgia. It has that mm-hmm. comfort feeling. Like you could totally just put it on and just want to like sit next to your family with some like chicken soup and just watch it. And like you, you can't say that about Hereditary, you know. I mean, some pe- <laughs> some people can. You can't say that about Hostel. I'm just saying. <laughs> listen, listen, Jeffrey. I get it. Hostel <laughs> is a wonderful allegory about American ignorance of other countries. I just have no desire to watch it on your big screen television that you keep bragging about right. <laughs> in your and, basement and that be, has a locked door. But legitimately, though, it's like, soundproof, so you can play it as loud as you want. <laughs> but legitimately, though, like even if Hostel is your favorite horror movie and you do enjoy it and you're aware that it's fiction and all that jazz, like what you know it's there's just kind of always been this like odd exclusivity about loving horror movies and it's not like you can't enjoy it with other people or talk to other people about it i mean god or run a podcast about it but yeah. <laughs> i don't know like you know it's, but sounds like a bunch of jerks right? i just noticed throughout time that most most outcasts most black sheeps most counterculture members of society have been horror fans or have a favorite horror mm-hmm. movie or some you know love horror you know whether whether it is complaining about modern horror or talking about why don't we have the old types of horror or loving new horror i mean it always comes back to horror and and what we that's what we talk about on the show i mean sorry, I, <laughs> yeah, i'm no, gonna go on tangent no, i apologize no no, no you're yeah, fine you're no you're right because like it's funny because these older these older uh tactics of horror uh cycle through Mm-hmm. I noticed that within the last four to six years, we've seen a resurgence of a more psychological terror and also old school scares. Yeah. Uh, I think Oz Perkins does it really well with stuff like Black Coat's Daughter. And um, mm-hmm. the, uh, I think it's called The Pretty Thing in the Window. I still haven't seen it. It's, it's the Netflix one. Yeah, um, I but, seen uh, one yeah, but, I uh, need to. It's a Netflix original. That's my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're like me. You watch The Irishman every week, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I just, watched it once and I'm good. Yeah, oh, no, I'm it's just funny because I... It's, 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 it's not, honestly, oh, it's just oh, I'm weird I, with Scorsese. I, no, no, no. It's, it's fine. I, I, I fully respect people on it unless they told me it was boring because... 
because I couldn't relate to any of the of the gangsters in there. I'd be like, well, then you didn't watch Scorsese movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it was a good movie. Yeah. Like, De Niro did fantastic. It, yeah. It's, <laughs> but I get it. It's three and a half hours. Unless you're tuned into it, you're not going to. I watched the Zack Snyder Justice League. I could do that. It's, yeah. You know, um, Quentin Tarantino set me up for long movies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but you're but you're right with the blob on on a front. And it's a good way to dive into it. Now, mm-hmm. Cody, and, and, and we you guys both selected the titles individually. Did you end up mm-hmm. watching both of the respective titles or did you uh, stick to your initial picks? Um, um, I didn't have time to watch. The yeah. We, okay. So uh, if we spoil it for you, don't worry because I'm going to make sure you get a copy of the film to then watch. Okay. Um, I was like, no, it's fine. If it, if things get spoiled for me, I'm totally fine with it. Cause like I watched the remake of the blob. So I kind of like know about it. I think I've seen the original a long time ago. The blob mm-hmm. does lose in the end. I figured. Yeah. You know, no, well, <laughs> well, we'll get or to does it. Does it? We, we get, we get, we'll get to that because <laughs> isn't you know the blob what's the, the movie yeah. that started the whole, or does it? thing ah. i'm pretty like i tried finding that out earlier and i, I to no avail i didn't have much i, 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 I like couldn't that, find an answer either because okay, so i feel I'll like just say yes because to me like <laughs> i was like the whole the whole ending like or is he dead you know that whole thing that kind of to me that always just originated to the blob because like i'm pretty certain that's how it ends like yep. the end question mark yes, and like you yes. see the little black bloop, bloop or whatever exactly yeah and that i think that that's like one of those things where like if the blob didn't start it it's certainly popularized yeah it. like every sometimes something doesn't start the thing but it's the thing that kicks it off to the masses and to think it's a it was a fucking <laughs> underrated cult horror movie that started one of the biggest trends that pissed so many people off in horror movies of the is it actually over <laughs> it, because of the blob sequels are a thing yep. and this is and <laughs> now here's i'm going to give a little production info and then we'll talk about the generalities of the blob mm-hmm. and uh kind of discuss it as a whole but this is a production by jack harris he's a he's a producer who up until re- up until this point his credits included a documentary for the Boy Scouts of America, which he claims in the commentary was directed by Cecil B. DeMille. And I looked that up and I'm like, that's not what happened. <laughs> but yes, he did a documentary on the Boy Scouts of America features appearances by Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope, and, and a bunch of other, all my other friends, all my other ones just hanging out in the fucking fifties. We're just Hope. sitting around telling you how great it is to be a Boy Scout while at the same time doing things that Boy Scouts could never fucking imagine. <laughs> well, and, I'll pass. Wow, give it, give it. Well, yeah, especially given what we know about the Boy Scouts of America. Exactly. I'll pass. I won't even go to church. <laughs> I just, but yeah, like with also the thing about the blob, though, like the 1958 one. And a fun fact about the show is that a lot of times I go to IMDb trivia to remind me of my notes mm-hmm. because that's uh, sometimes what I do to like back reference everything that I write down. Yeah. But um, I go so, to Wikipedia at times, too. So don't worry. Yeah. yeah. But. So one thing that that I don't think people, if you if you haven't watched it, um, know this is that the Blob did start a lot of themes that and tropes that a lot of beam horror movies continued on throughout the years. I mean, one you could talk about the legacy that was left behind with Steve McQueen because fun fact that uh, the Blob movie poster was on his wall and you know time of his death um but also another fun fact is that like he so like he had a choice with taking like between 10 percent of the profits Mm -hmm. that the film would make or just a flat out like three thousand dollars yeah yeah like two thousand five hundred three thousand dollars whatever yeah um 
and he took the money instead of the profits big mistake there we became such a huge hit but like even like the dude's like almost 30 in the movie like well not in the movie he's actually almost 30 but in the movie he plays a high school kid he's supposed <laughs> in the commentary they were throwing around the ages between 14 and 16 <laughs> oh yeah yeah so you definitely like, don't look 16 no. and that but you and i know you're saying it's like well how is that any anyway like a trope of like b horror movies well if you watch 70s 80s even 90s b horror movies they have actors that are like in their 30s late 20s portraying as high school kids like, yeah, yeah you really think they were gonna hire high schoolers to get murdered on on the big screen john carpenter's just sitting in an interview room going like look no that's just that's a fucking stupid idea exactly <laughs> like in the 80s and 90s start to switch like using older actors to portray as, as high schoolers as actually just younger actors doing i mean johnny depp got his everybody knows johnny depp got his first role in, in Nightmare on Nightmare Street. Street. exactly yeah. same thing jamie lee curtis halloween, halloween. Um, um uh even joseph I would, gordon lovett Yep, I would even Halloween. He's yeah. the one who takes the fucking ice skate to the face. <laughs> he, he's he's not just that, Cody. You know who he is. He's Jimmy. He gets a specific credit in H two O. Yeah, and Jimmy. Joseph Gordon Levitt as Jimmy. As Jimmy. And anytime I go back to H two O, I take a I take a picture of that moment and I post it on Twitter or Facebook or wherever and go, we hell have to remember Jimmy. Jimmy, <laughs> who dies in the first five fucking minutes of the movie. But, it, but, but like again, you know, people are probably asking, well, still, what's the significance of that? Well, you see, the significance of that is the way that horror movies were being made back then. You could see mm -hmm. it changing with just subtle things like that. You know, yeah, how absolutely. the way they're approaching them, how vulnerable they want to make them, how polarizing. Because I mean, God, it, facts of the matter is you can only put so many 30 year olds as high school students before they start to not relate to actual high school students. And what's so, in, and, and I'll say what's interesting sorry. about that too is is that the 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 market of the teen the teenage market didn't exist until the 50s, until post World War II. Mm -hmm. Teenagers didn't have an income. They didn't have an allowance. Mm -hmm. Worked through the depression, and then yeah. <laughs> now now they have a disposable income. They're going to the movies. That's why these studios are making movies trended towards that audience. Mm -hmm. And so it is a growing pains. You start off with somebody like a thirty year old Steve McQueen playing a teenager, and then you work your way eventually down the line. You get through your screams or your latest Halloweens that came out with Andy Matichek playing the younger Strode. The that 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 trope doesn't exist anymore. Now we tend to cast like according to age or within that range, depending on the content of the film. Yeah, um, I and but I will say that with that, when you made the comment about Steve McQueen playing a high school kid, I got to tell you, the only reason you notice it for the most part, Matt. Yeah. Did you notice in this film? We'll, we'll jump into the plot right now. This is a movie, by the way, that was made on a very low budget. Yeah. This, the budget of this film ends up costing about $110,000. Yeah, which is cheap compared yeah. to what most movies are made for. And these Jack days. Harris had the right idea where he's like, well, you know, they, I can take this star jelly idea that Pennsylvania discovered and I can just turn it into a cheap sci fi movie and make a bunch of fucking money. I can't believe I just called $100,000 cheap, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I. I, I got news for that, you. That's got, life changing money for me. I got, I got news. I got, I got news for you, Matt. Inflation's a bitch. But I don't know what this has joke. to do with balloons. But yes. <laughs> and he, Sorry, I'm kidding. And he gets, they, and they filmed this all in Pennsylvania. By the way, it takes place in Val. They took all the filming took place at Valley Forge Studios. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the the. As when we're opening up in this film, you'll notice. Well, first you'll notice that theme song, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But can I tell uh, you that I 
that I skip the theme song most often. Oh, I'm going to play it in the middle of the episode after I edit it. (laughs) That's fine. Because it's Burt Bacharach. And there's always a claim that this is like his big break and it's not. He had actually been very, uh, very uh, notable in the music scene before the blob. He co-wrote this with another person, um, Mac, Mac David, um, who is uh, Hal David's brother. And uh, the, the song is actually sung by the, the five blobs, which is just one singer, Bernie Nee, dubbing himself over a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a cute song. But anyway, the, the first thing you notice is that a lot of this movie is in close-ups. Medium shots are close-ups, not very few wides. The director of the film, uh, Ir- Irvin Yeaworth, yeah, said that this had this had a lot. A lot of this had to do with the fact that they were limited on budget, limited on time, limited on how much film they could shoot. Because back then, guys, you mm-hmm. didn't have a digital camera. Nope. And I and I and I'm not but? trying to I'm not trying to sound condescending. I just need to clarify it for future generations that at one point we photographed things on other things and didn't just do it on a computer chip. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. back to this plot though. Because of those close-ups, that's where you notice right away, especially in an HD world, oh, my God, Steve McQueen is fucking 30. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus. And, and right now he's macking on some girl at Lover's Lane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the opening Get scene where like, off her. Like, he's just trying to make moves, and she's like, no, she's like, I... I don't want to do that. Which, by the way, I just want to say, like, I got really happy when she's like, it's just Jane, not Janie. Thank you. I love that. I love that, too. And I also like, love her yeah, calling. Yeah, tell him. I also love her calling him out on his bullshit going like, you bring up more than one woman here a week, don't you? Like, yeah. She's like, I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm a person, dickhead. <laughs> like, you know, but. Yeah. J- J- Janie's just like, look, 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 this date is going nowhere. I would rather deal with the worst kind of alien imaginable right yeah. now than deal with you. And she gets her wish, Matt. I'd rather <laughs> kiss a giant pink mask than ever have to kiss you. And the pink mask is just like, well, you're in for some wonderful so times. You're, you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Janie. Are you from Australia? Well, good day, mate. <laughs> um, are you an angel? I would love Blob and Blob in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Just Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey voicing two Blobs, <laughs> um, and somehow they also drive a fur dog van. It they, works. Yeah, oh, they God. have to. They have to make like goo puns for their cussing. So it's like, get the gack out of the way. Oh. <laughs> Are you sliming me right now? You, uh, you flubbered it up. You flubbered it all up. I was gonna say you blooped it up. You did this better than me. Ah. <laughs> uh, I'm so oozing mad right now. <laughs> and so the thing, but the thing does crash and it does crash. And I will say the special effects in this film. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all to watch. Considering this is the thing that I realized and I wanted to pitch this to you guys specifically being that you, you delve into horror of different eras and different years. Mm-hmm. I feel like with this and Godzilla, there tends to be a tendency to kind of poke fun at the outdated special effects of the fifties. And my argument Mm. is, is that, well, if you never had star Wars happen, you'd probably still be praising it. But because we had the technology boom that we did now, we've, we had this small period where we would giggle at it or even I like MST three K, but sometimes it can get a little Mm. touchy with its, uh, it's, it's comment on the effects. Now those Mm. effects are worse than this. But yeah, I mean, they're pretty fucking. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, but like, okay, my argument against that, like anybody who poke, especially when you try to poke fun at like, 
let's say Godzilla or the original blob, like the original Godzilla movies, the original blob shit. You even pe- I hear people poking fun at like Hitchcock movies for the effects and stuff like that. Who are they? I'm gonna fucking kill them. <laughs> yeah, but like, are the, are you kidding me? These movies hold up better than I would argue half of the shit that came out in the year 2000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like well, Alone in the Dark. Don't fucking tell me that yeah. holds up better than this. The, the, 1988 Blob is still even better. Yeah. The, the, the Mummy Returns. The Mummy Returns. That fucking rock. I would have rather seen Dwayne, the actual Dwayne the Rock Johnson in a fucking scorpion like suit yeah. than seeing that. It, like, it would have been cool if he like had some strings attached to his arms so that the, the different yeah. tent. And you know what? And you know what the real irony is, though, is that we still do it to this day. The pure, pure example: uh, Henry Cavill as Superman with a notorious, you know, CG'd out mustache. You know what's the worst part about that too? You know what's the dumbest thing about that too? Is they argued, well, Superman never had a mustache. You never read the fucking comics, did you? He had a full-on lumberjack beard at some point. Fuck you! Let him have the mustache. It would have been great. He just came back from the dead. He would have facial hair. But but but, but Cody, <laughs> Sorry. But, but Cody, this is what you. Uh, hi, I'm 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 J W Warner the Fourteenth because my grandfather, my grandfather, <laughs> my great 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 grandfather's dead now. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the kids don't know Superman with a beard. What they know is what I've put on those lunch boxes and those uh, toys that uh, we mass manufactured without thinking about story or plot development or what. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but it's like, but those people also I didn't see Superman with a hairy chest. Let you let that go for twenty but fucking like, minutes. That's, well, that's, that's my whole point. I know. I mean, that, I, 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 I would sleep with that. I, but the reason I bring that up though is that I, my whole point is that like I'm all for good fun. Like I even poke fun at like the old Godzilla costume. And, and not, oh, yeah, there's a co- okay, not, not there to take away couple, from it, but there are like a couple Godzilla costumes, you're like. <laughs> no but but that's that's the thing that's what i'm talking about man it's like yeah like you should make fun of those old facts like because oh, and you know why because yeah. if it's bringing you enjoyment and you're creating bonds on that and you're gonna go back and watch that movie then hell yeah do it don't no. let anyone tell you oh, how to enjoy oh, it. oh yeah no but at the same time though it should never be taken past the point where it's starting to devaluize the art itself exactly mm-hmm. and that and that's something that when talking about the blob itself because like the first couple of like instances of the blob because both of these movies by the way the monster doesn't show itself too much in the film now a lot of that has to do with budget and or just restrictions of the time Mm. the blob scenes in here like when that farmer first discovers it and (laughs) (laughs) we talked about we've talked about like we've talked about people out in the middle of nowhere before (laughs) it's it's, but but i will tell you another trope though another trope in horror movies killer comes from our space pokes fun of it the old man coming out of his of his cabin with with old blue there damn kids what are you doing yeah (laughs) and then all of a sudden you get attacked by blobs and you're and you're screaming in horror now i will say that the economy of that shit those shots is so wonderful that the way it consumes his hand is interesting because there's something in the effects where they're making it throb now i think i do appreciate that because and and once we get into the dr tenor's office um which this doctor is kind of stupid he but he's uh uh, they'll unveil that thing and the, the blob kind of just starts pulsating. Because mm-hmm. I appreciate that there's like this ingenuity with such a little budget because if you look at the blob, yeah, it's a most of the time it's a rolling ball. Mm-hmm. It's not till the like climax of the film, which is arguably like the, the centerpiece of this film because the first thir- two thirds of the film is a secret Fast and Furious movie that we never got <laughs> involving... <laughs> 
involving Steve McQueen. Yeah. <laughs> getting, not wanting the crown of greatest racer in town. No. But being told by his friends, no, 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 you can't just abdicate your throne like that. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to have a challenger come you, get you, it. You've got to have a challenger. I was watching that scene and I'm just like, this was the dumbest way to bully people. So <laughs> I swear to God, not that I'm a fan of bullying, but. Jesus, did we like just go to a different extreme throughout everybody time? Seems yes. to, everybody seems to like love to harp on the Biff Tannins of the world, like, yeah. like in the rep- representation in Back to the Future and whatnot. I'm like, if you watch a 50s movie, they're every, every bully, unless we're talking maybe Rebel Without a Cause, every bully <laughs> is just trash at their job. Like, <laughs> if bully was a union paid gig, yeah. <laughs> they'd they be terrible. T- they'd be thrown out. <laughs> All the way by, by Jimmy Hoffa himself. It's just like a meeting of them. Just like, you're telling me you haven't hit anyone this week. Are you a bully? Or are you not a bully? <laughs> and then they have to actually bully the bullies in order to bully. Exactly. All right, yeah. You're getting a wedgie now, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing street races? Who voted on street races? Uh, it's me. I, I, my name is Dom Senior. <laughs> it's just I, like I, wearing a bad mustache. Yeah. Yeah, pay no attention to me and my sexy good looks compared to that other jerk. Uh, I agree. Straight races are too far. Yeah, exactly. And what's more, listen up. If those kids need to race, they need to race because family. We, cause I don't family. know. <laughs> and in this family, we race. The only reason that this situation is not ideal for me is because I don't have a corona in my hand. <laughs> Nor is my family not here. And no, but American ale is not a proper substitute. <laughs> Family. Family. Just be like, by the way, if you're going to be my girlfriend, I need you to know that you're going to die, then you're going to not die. You're going to get brainwashed, be a traitor, then we're going to get back together, and you might die again. Yeah, and then Charlize Theron might keep you in a weird prison cell in a weird hovercraft. I really don't understand what the eighth one was about. But and then we're going to somehow race missiles on ice that are uh, torpedoes. We're going to race a torpedo and going to send it back. Do you somehow. see how influential the blob has been? <laughs> What year if it wasn't for the blob we wouldn't have fast and furious i need to look up what's year steve mcqueen died 1980 okay so yeah so he had no chance to see the fast and the furious but can you imagine him living long enough to see the first one going like i did good i did good started a great legacy this fucking welcome (laughs) you all of you all of you Oh, me. <laughs> Bullet. Uh, thank you. I can see him sitting there like, you know what would make this movie better? A giant pink blob. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, but yeah, thankfully those cops pull him over and stop any more Fast and Furious shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, that, like, that scene is when the cops actually just... worked in movies? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they're terrible That's, in movies. That scene alone, I will argue, he's just aged so weirdly because I feel like at some point Steve McQueen forgets his lines. <laughs> like, I just, because the, the way he delivers them in that scene, he just seems like he forgets them. He's just like, because the cop is literally just like, so, uh... Do you know what you're doing? And he's just like, uh, no, 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 officer. I don't. Uh, you're. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he's like, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, I I wasn't sure. Yep. Then there's like this weird pause, and he's just like, so are you gonna? I'm gonna have to take you down to the station. Oh, 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 well, what did I do? You tell me you don't know what you did. And I'm just like, what is this weird back and forth? <laughs> he, like, he, he does have this weird moment where he finally confesses to the crime, and the cop rightfully so says, "Wait, now nah, you're confessing? What? what? <laughs> you can right? Just imagine the right. like the actor being like, you forgot your fucking lines." And he's like, he, like he kind of like sees himself and be like, "Wait, 
was it in the script that I was supposed to confess, or was I not supposed to confess? <laughs> Fuck it, I'm on film. Irv- Irvin's like, look, we're wasting film talking, and and the, and the camera's not even on, Stephen. <laughs> it's, it's the blob, not talking about traffic laws. This is this is <laughs> yeah. this is this is the blob, not not the seventh seal. Blo- I need you to be careful with how much importance you're putting on the blob right now. Blo- um, it was but the- but here's okay. Here's something though. Once we start kicking into the horror plot, though, she mm. uh, first of all, Janie is the or Jane, sorry, is, is the badass of this movie because oh God, yeah. because not only is she, I mean, Steve McQueen is the badass in the movie too, but like Jane has some interesting scenes. I mean, he's no this. Jane. He's no Jane because Jane not only has to deal with Steve and his, uh, where, uh, yeah, Steve Andrews, by the way, Steve plays Steve, and Jane has to deal not only with that but also her little brother who the only reason that I didn't find him to be an annoying kid actor is because his voice was reminding me of my nephews. And I was like, I can't hate this right now. God damn it. See, I always imagine when a kid's talking, if I hate their voice, that they just have a deeper voice and it makes me deal with it better. So like that way, when I watch E.T., I just instead of hearing E.T., go home here. E.T., go home. (laughs) Rod E.T. Goonies never say die. Goonies never say die. (laughs) Old man Sloth Chunk <laughs> Hey you guys, guys. <laughs> Snicker baby Ruth <laughs> Now this is what I call pod racing <laughs> the, sultan of, the, the sultan of SWAT The colossal of Clash Babe Ruth <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> First, you roast a mallow. <laughs> then you get the gram with the chocolate with the mallow on the ground. See, I'm telling you, it makes it far easier to get through the movie. Just imagine can, can, can so. We, can, we have, uh, can we have Lewis Black dub? Dub children's movies now. You're a fucking kidding me, Smalls! You gotta get the fucking ground cooker! It takes a fucking ground cooker! Get the cooker! It's that fucking simple! What? <laughs> the, the, uh, the one that I was thinking of is just like, no, listen, you little fucking shit. I don't care if you're looking for buried treasure, but don't wake me up in the middle of the night wondering where the fuck you are. <laughs> I love Lewis Black. I love him so, so much. Funny. Yeah, the only thing I love more than Lewis Black is James Adomian imitating Lewis Black reading a 10-year-old diary. <laughs> Dear diary! <laughs> um, but I'll send you, I will send you that clip if Excuse you've never me. heard it, hmm. but uh, but anyway, yeah, and, and I will say, like, we can kind of run through the climax of the film because it's the big centerpiece. Yeah. But first of all, the engine, you were talking about playing with the action figures. Yeah. This is literally Ir- Irvin Yates. Ir- Irvin Yeaworth is literally looking in this going. I, I, this is a weird imitation of Irvin Yeaworth, but here you go. You know what I want to do? I want to have the blob invade a movie theater and I want to make it look fucking yeah, cool. Yeah, the movie and theater scene is I think it's the scene that gets played the most in retrospective clips and for rightfully so for a budget of that much money mm-hmm. in 1958 pulling off that scene yeah. is a mini miracle. The scene for those who haven't seen it obviously if it's a podcast it's going to be hard to describe it. Imagine Imaginations. the uh, imagine the blob <laughs> which at which 
can either look like black black xenomorph goo or red jello depending on the camera angle um <laughs> is coming through the vents of the projector room it kills the projector and then starts pulsating through the window where the projector feeds through into the auditorium yep. it's selective shots but we our mind is playing into what went on inside after it got to audience level in the balcony. <laughs> yeah. Our brain uh, has this awesome thing. So like horror films, what they do great with and what they really pry on uh, when they do these killaway shots and why they don't work as much these days anymore. At, oh, well, I mean, that's a long discussion itself. Point being um, <laughs> is that when they have these killaway shots is that, it's the thought of your imagination doing the majority of the terror. Yeah. And I think that this one in particular has a lot of benefit of the doubt that others don't. Mm -hmm. because Not just because of the budget, but also just because of the generalized concept. One of the most, I think, active scenes in the movie actually has to do with um, inside Steve's dad's grocery store. I, th I think that's the lineage here. I don't know who owns what in the town necessarily. You, you know what? It, it just comes to a point where you just destroy the town. Yeah, so. it does. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but, that, but the way it's... Steve McQueen's fault. Yeah, it's, Steve. It's, all, it's, all his, it's because of him and his damn street racer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Stop driving on the wrong side of the road, goddammit. It's I mean, look, look, Matt, you, here's something you need to understand. No, this was my first role. I didn't give it. I didn't give a shit. Shame on you. You know what was gonna happen to me in four fucking years. Do you not know how to drive on a two lane road? That's it's not simple. the point, Matt. It's two ways. Just one way and the other, man. Look, look, Matt, how am I supposed to drive responsibly if I'm being asked to play bullet? I hope you get eaten by a blob. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand the magic of movies. Go fuck yourself <laughs> um, but the, the um the with the, by the time that everybody leaves the movie theater first of all this movie does have like i guess a metaphor within it in the art of like not believing youth or not yeah. believing a, a warning system that something's oh. coming yeah. now arguably <laughs> Man, some, that sets me yeah. <laughs> weird yeah <laughs> I don't know, John. Guys, I don't know. I'm here. I'm I'm the I'm I'm Richie at the police station. Um, amongst the other things I do is play chess with myself, and I keep the set in my office so perfectly. It's a magnetic set. I should oh, say. Oh god. So, but, but my bottom line is is that kids just say a lot of silly shit, and it's it's not as if though they have any genuine concerns about the problems of the world. Anyway, back to my solo chess game. That by the way, that chess game. Yeah. If he had lived. If he had kept being a cop into his 90s yeah. and went to go see X-Men mm -hmm. and then goes back to doing night shift duty, do you yeah. think he just redoes the X-Men final scene in X-Men 1 where he's just going like, does it wake you up in the middle of the night that someday they may come for you and your children? That's and then he just runs around to the other side of the board and goes, it does indeed. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he ends every shit. I, uh, he has to reenact Again, that just weird scenes, though, in that movie that just, like, add into, like, weird, hilarious B-movies aesthetics. It's just that exact chess scene. I'm glad you brought Like, I don't want to take away too much. No, but go like, ahead. But, like, just the chief of police or the chief, I don't know. One of he, the deputies. Yeah, I one think, of them yeah. comes up and he's just like, what you got there, chef set? I'm like, is, is he going to? Is a cop going to bully a cop in this movie? Because he's answer, just like, the, 
He just, he's like, what you got there, pal? <laughs> what you doing there, it's, it's, nerd? It, it's, it's, <laughs> the, like, you know, this is just my coping mechanism. And he goes, oh, isn't that adorable? Yeah, you're like, like, Maybe like, you'll have to teach me to play chess sometime. And I'm, I'm like, like, you condescending douche. I'm like, are you going to give him a wedgie now? See, to tell me, him, I feel like tell he, him he had sex with his mom. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, I feel like, like yeah, he was like, oh, you're playing chess by yourself? Fucking lonely nerd. I'm going to go do your mom. We don't know. Where, so, we, so we don't. Because of a wet willy. So. <laughs> no, this extends to into it. Full disclosure in the blob, we don't always see where it might be in the town because like that, that, it seems like it's kind of scattered all over. Yeah. You think the blob's just waiting outside the window of the police station, sees that moment going on and going like, you know, I fucking hated Steven, but I really hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, doing this, to... I'm doing this town a service. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to be a bully. Fucking, I'll show you a bully. <laughs> I'll all, show you a blobly. They're all sinners. <laughs> they have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Forever Cleanse. Cleanse the sinners. Steven's just like, my God, it's not only an alien, it's a Catholic. It's a zealot. It's a zealot. going around like, since it's a blob, it's like, I am the blood of Christ. <laughs> Formed into one mass, I have returned as they have foretold. I am your savior. There's no need for the body of Christ. All you need is the blob of Christ. <laughs> Just stand there as I slowly move towards you and you shall be accepted into the gates of heaven above. <laughs> You see no, the, all you I want to see is like one person get hit in the head by like a speck of blob and they just start going hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's uh if you guys seen the righteous gemstones at all yeah yes. I, started, I started watching it but I'm just imagining the blob in a really decked out white suit that he shouldn't be able to afford <laughs> I have the healing power always available here at the blob it, coming after this is the 700 club so stay tuned <laughs> you just hear it squish every time it moves to you like stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also within this final scene we also get one of these tropes that th- this isn't started by the blob no. but it's continuing it and it's also adding into the sci-fi elements of this then we have this period in history obviously where science takes over the mythos of horror partially because of atomic testing, which we'll talk about here in a second with Godzilla, but also just in general, like the amount of technology that was booming out of the post-war era and the idea of basic chemistry solving the issue of the blob with it's CO2. It freezes him. Like that's a fun, neat thing to look at from that perspective. It's something that the, the remake carries in, but this, the idea of freezing the blob and whatnot, and that scene in the diner stand that standoff in the diner, which first of all, Janie Jane's Jane's kid brother's an idiot, but he's an admirable idiot. <laughs> you know what? I just like that they continue the idiot brother trope in the remake too. So. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but this one, and and in this one, he does try to have a standoff with the blob. Now there is something that's carried over on into this. Instead of it being a more cutesy slash annoying thing to us to to us back then or you know even today now that kind of trope of standing off against the big monster has been extended into the marvel universe when you have Mm -hmm. in age of ultron the little kid with the iron man mask and holding up its arm to defend itself and then iron man actually comes down shoots the the ultron robot down and goes like thanks junior and then he just flies off so or the spider-man kid in amazing spider-man 2 which Mm -hmm. so like that's interesting how that imagery is kind of carried off into a whole different genre yeah um and then but the blob consuming it it's kind of like this it's we've ceased with the practical effect and kind of gone into the animation territory which is 
I think works depending on the film that's being made. Yeah. Um, Cause some of you, you look at it and you're just like, well now nah, you're not even trying here. I think they're absolutely trying because it does look stunning to look. It's stunning to look at even if the effect doesn't hold up. It's like a painting. It's like a weird painting that you want to like examine. Well, that's like the genius behind the blob monster itself is that. So with a lot of like 80s horror, the thing especially like made it, did it really well. Um, you know, when they had to do really complicated shots like that, when the technology wasn't available, they did stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you don't know anything about stop motion animation, it could be a very arduous process. It takes a lot of time to do. It takes a lot of money to do. And it's one mess up, one model, just, you know, losing a hand could set back one scene for a month. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that could be a huge, and that's just like, that's a small amount of time. Um, so the blob, what was so genius about it was like what you just said is that it's like, it was like paint filling a canvas, Yeah, you know, it was, it was this formless mass. So like filming and putting on these kill, you know, these kill scenes, although still complicated, wasn't as complicated as if it was like a giant gorilla or an alien or Frankenstein, something that was a little more, you know, specific. Yeah. And it's, and and funny enough on the visual effects, I did want to bring up, if you've looked at the blob at this point and you've seen some of those scenes and how they do that, that diner scene, that's a photograph of the building was put on a gyroscopically operated table. And on there, the cameras had to be mounted and then the table was shaken and the blob was rolling off of it. And then when the film negative was printed in reverse, it appeared to be oozing over the building. Yeah. So oh, they shook cool. it off and then they reversed it. And you see a lot of those reverse effect shots with the blob coming in and out of things and surfaces. Actually, there's a terrifying one where they get uh, they get cornered into the meat locker mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the and all you can hear is the blob going back in and clearly about to eat their dog. Yeah. <laughs> And like people want to, t- and, and, and there's there are some people who want to say like, well, these aren't movies aren't always that terrifying. And I'm like, there's fucking dog murder in the fifties, guys. I don't know yeah. what I don't know mm-hmm. what else you're looking for. Like, I I, I get it. You want to see Michael Myers strangle it, but use your imagination. You this sadist, time. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking sicko. <laughs> the fact that you want to see Lester die over and over again is very concerning. Stop <laughs> wanting to choke out Lassie. God. <laughs> I know Sparky's dead, but fuck. I would love. You know what I would love is Doctor Loomis. The way he reacts to it in Halloween is is great. The the way he reacts to the dog that has been eaten in the Myers place. Yeah, he goes like he got hungry. Then he goes out into the real world and he just sees a bunch of people murdering dogs. And he goes just like, I I don't know what to do anymore. I I I'm dealing with the one that I shot six times and got away. <laughs> and now I'm just seeing all of you people do it. So maybe Michael's not insane. Maybe the world is. And I, do I need to start eating dogs? <laughs> Am I insane? <laughs> like, just, I just want to hear him go I'm insane. I, like I guess the only times. way to find out is whether or not I'll shake the shit out of Daniel Harris in Pot 5. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, that is that so is a much. harsh part of that movie. But the... Um, <laughs> I know. Tell me four where he still, is. Four was still... <laughs> Tell me, sixties pure evil. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you have to help me. I'm old and also clearly swinging bourbon in my trailer. <laughs> you have to help me, Daniel. I'm sorry. I think okay. Out of the entire, just a small little thing about the yeah. Halloween movies, like. 
Doctor Loomis is the scariest person in the entire movie. Not in the for first. The one, yeah, not in the first two. In, in the sequels, in the he sequels, is. For the one sole factor, it's my favorite fucking part, and it's in the very beginning of the fourth one when he sees Michael after Michael massacres all the the entire uh, diner, diner, the, the diner, the diner, gas, diner station, and yeah. gas station, and everything. It's the fact that this old bastard could go from hobbling on a fucking cane to a goddamn NFL running back in two seconds to go whoosh and sprint across the entire gas station to yeet himself across like that, over the trash can that's that's the power of stuntmen cody that's the power of stuntmen and you know what it also is it's the power of mustafa khan yeah that's that's the power of mustafa khan but the final scene though we he discovers that it can freeze the police chief calls in the military <laughs> and uh, they, the Air Force has agreed to airlift this frozen sucker blob outside there. And we get another instance of an amorphous monster being stuck in Antarctica, hoping to God it doesn't thaw out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually... So it's truly the prequel to the thing. It, it, it Actually, I was like wondering, like, it would be a great thing if the blob and the thing teamed up. Right. And had to fight Kurt Russell and Steve McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> we shall call him. Kurt McQueen, real celebrity <laughs> death match. <laughs> we can also call him uh, Wyatt Russell because one, <laughs> actually, I like Wyatt Russell and uh, Overlord. Even though we've talked about Overlord and our problems with it, <laughs> I like Wyatt in it. Um, mm-hmm. But see, like I like Sturt. Sturt. Stephen Kurt. St- oh, there you go. I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, and like, but the the thing that I wanted to wrap up with the blob on though, before we get into the, like the reception to this film, because it's interesting how this film is carried on like the, the theme theme wise and whatnot this does like anytime you think of a 50s drive-in movie i feel like more or not we're more often than not we're addressing the blob first mm-hmm. because it's kind of like the quintessential like cheesy monster movie that has a mass appeal and did affect people in one way or another mm-hmm. um and also the entire idea of this community not believing something that they can they can clearly see something's wrong, but they're not paying attention to it. These are tropes that carry on down the line. Uh, and what's more, the whole entire notion of in a world where it was predominantly communist laden metaphors or red scare metaphors and whatnot, this seems to be like a, this has a red scare element to it, but yeah. it also has a general element of generalized fear coming into a small town. So it's the up, upending of suburbia in a weird way because this small town in pennsylvania i'm not talking like michael myers coming in Mm. which is the more real world equivalent of it but it does lend tropes to start lending into this idea of like your homestead isn't safe which is a horror trope that has been utilized in different forms or fashions for different purposes whether you believe the ramifications behind them or not, it's a trope that exists to this day. Yeah. Quiet little Hamlet suddenly. Bleh! <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's more, I, I think <clears throat> that I do think that you get a great lesson about independent filmmaking in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work considering today's limitations, but I do think that there is an ingenuity behind it because this movie was independently produced and it was picked up by Paramount Pictures. So before Paramount was in the business of not caring about Jason movies <laughs> and then jumping the franchise after eight entries and just 
Yeah. When you watch the when you watch the Crystal Lake documentary, Memories documentary, you realize that Paramount had all the opportunity in the world to give a shit and be financially viable into today, and now they're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> but the, so anyway, Paramount picks it up for three hundred thousand dollars, and then Jack from Jack Harrison, then they spent another thirty hundred three thirty hundred three hundred thousand dollars promoting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was one in a wave of these like cheap. Teen movies. Paramount doubles this with a movie called "I Married a Monster from Outer Space," which I've never seen before, and I'm curious about it now. Um, but Harris then bought the rights back from Paramount and Allied Artists Pictures Corporation and reissued it as a double double feature with another Irvin Yeworth film called "Dinosaurs" with an exclamation point in 1964. And I've seen that one. <laughs> We may need to talk about this one because this poster looks too ambitious for its own good. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've seen that one because I used to watch uh, those old MGM. I think the MGM channel or no, when AMC literally was showing showing old old movies. That's how I figured out. That's that's how I discovered. I believe uh, one of my favorite weird gangster movies, Brother Orchid. It's Edward G. Mm. Robinson plays a gangster who goes into hiding and becomes a uh, a grower of orchids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to go back and confront his old life. I'm trying to no, find it's that actually, poster. It's actually a really fun. It's a fun movie. Actually, Cody, that's a gangster movie where I'm just like, just watch this and tell me, <laughs> tell me what they were thinking. But still acknowledge the fact that it takes a lot of guts to do what they're doing here in this moment with this movie right now. <laughs> and the only reason they get away with it is because Catholics would have approved of this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the blob is released. Again, it goes on that double bill with I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And it then goes up to the main feature. So it was originally the B bill and then it goes up to the A picture on it on the bill. Um, audience has liked the film, but the critics didn't. <laughs> The New York Times review highlighted some of the problems and identified some positives, although Steve McQueen's debut was not one of the problems. They concentrated instead on Irving Yeworth's work. Unfortunately, his picture talks itself to death, even with the blob nibbling away at everybody in sight. And most of his trick effects under the direction of Irving S. Yeworth Jr. look pretty phony. I don't know what to tell the New York Times anymore. I'm <laughs> I mean, the only thing I would agree with is that there's definitely scenes in the movie where it just feels like there's a little too much talking for a blob movie. Yeah, there's but... a there's a there's a soliloquy between Jane and Stephen in what looks like the setting of a Robin Hood movie, yeah. <laughs> where the, with the with the hanging leaves and the trees and whatnot. Yeah, like that one where I'm just like, this is this is five minutes too long, and the scene's only five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but the, uh, everything else they can just go. Yeah, yeah you can. But I will. Shove say, it. <laughs> I will say that the movie, when it wants to move at a clip, it moves at a clip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, but the review that review uh, had more on this. It said on the credit side. The camera, the camera very snugly frames the small town background, a store, a church spire, several homes, and a theater. The color is quite good, and I will agree the color is quite good. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's beautiful looking. Um, the blob, in, in parentheses, the blob rolls around and at least a dozen horrible looking flavors, including raspberry. 
<laughs> this snarky, this snarky <laughs> critic. Um, the acting is pretty terrible itself. There's not a single becoming familiar face, but in the cast, headed by young Steve McQueen and Annette Corset. So I, I will say this is the thing: like because it is so inwardly framed, yeah, it does feel like a community. It does feel like a small town. Mm-hmm. The scale feels appropriate. And so I think that they might be looking at it from the level of cheapness compared to still having Golden Age Hollywood in their back pocket going like, well, these are the epics. These are the cheap bullshit. Yeah. And then you're just like, no, but I'd rather watch this one than necessarily watch Ben-Hur for the 15th fucking time. I Even can't. though Ben-Hur's great, it's directed by a wonderful director. But still, the story's been told before. <laughs> <laughs> and also, so dead I, horses. Really dead horses. Well, yeah. <laughs> I actually don't even like Ben-Hur. I, I, I like... I don't <laughs> I can't. Like, I, I just can't get this. I like that the one that Weiler did, but I can't rewatch it constantly because of the length. That is one of those that is one of those long movies where I'm like, no, nah, I can't even do this. Yeah. I will go back to sections of that movie too. And also watching Charlton Heston can be fun as long as you don't take think too much about who Charlton Heston yeah, was. We just need yeah. a Zack Snyder cut of Ben Hur. Oh <laughs> no, we just need I'll, a Zack Snyder I'll, cut You know what? Everything. I wanted for another I wanted for another Heston movie. I want a Snyder cut of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> because they, you can't tell me Wait, that's all which there was. Planet of the Apes, though. Any of them? <laughs> really? I like the ones I, with. Uh... I, I love them all. I don't. I love them all, but I want Not more, Matt. Do you understand? Oh, okay. I get you. I, want, I, I just want more. You. I want four hours per I movie. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I want. I'm right there I want an extra you. hour of Maurice Evans talking about ape politics. I want monkey action all the time. Yeah. Give it to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't go in there, Eastman. You won't like it. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be an answer, Doctor Zayas. <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Hey, can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. <laughs> oh, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> oh, my God. I was wrong. <laughs> it was Earth all along. Um, and now Variety had another reaction. They said McQueen is uh is it gamely giving the old college try but that the star performers however are the deluxe color camera work of thomas spaulding and barton sloan special effects i would agree now the film has since gone on to become a classic that was remade by chuck russell in the 80s um has inspired countless other movies in its wake as a result um obviously Killer Clowns from Outer Space owes a debt to this and other films of its ilk with the discovery scenes and oh, also other yeah. elements throughout. Um, and Even E.T. to an extent, I would argue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the difference is Spielberg is just like, yeah, but what if I showed the shed? <laughs> what, if <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if he was a friend? What if he was a friend? Now, there was a sequel called Beware the Blob in 1972, directed by Larry Hagman. Um, and the uh, home video releases used the tagline, the movie that Jr. shot, uh, a play on who shot Jr. from Dallas, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, the the because Larry Hagman uh, played that character on Dallas. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm just gonna throw this out there. Sometimes cleverness it just goes too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On that um, one, I'm like. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and and also I will say that the this is it, the blob is also extended into children's fair too because we've got monsters versus aliens 
the mm-hmm. Bob character. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which I do like that movie. It's it's one of those DreamWorks animation movies where I'm like, I enjoyed it this. It definitely mm-hmm. wasn't as one of the more popular ones, even though it should have been. Yeah, I yeah. think it's got a, I think it's got the correct sense of humor for what it needs to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With even all down to Stephen Colbert playing the president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I still love that. Yeah. I shall try to communicate with him. Now here's an underrated movie. Now here's here's something. That movie, that movie also had Will Arnett as a gill man. I know. Yeah. And I and I and I do admire it. And it's actually like I've grown to like Reese Witherspoon more over the years. Like I've grown to like appreciate her better. She's good in the lead role. Yeah. So I appreciate those elements of it too. Um, I wish they did th- a second one. Yeah, this and that and Peabody and Sherman are my two favorite DreamWorks movies. I, like, I still that's, need to that's watch that's another that. Paramount company, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, that's when they were under Paramount God at that point. Damn it! But Paramount. I still need to Every watch time. that one because I I used to watch the old Rocky and Bullwinkle tapes. I used to have them on videotape, so I watched Peabody and Mr. Sherman. So the they come up with an origin story for Peabody and Sherman, and I, at first I thought that would be stupid, but then I watched it and it's done in a montage, and I'm like, this is making me cry. <laughs> Just like Scooby. Yeah. Scoob, oh, is that such I haven't, a... I haven't seen Scoob yet. It's good. I've got. It'll make you cry. I've gotten conflicting reports, so I need to watch the movie. I think it's great. Okay, and then... it's gonna make you want a Wacky Racers movie so uh, bad. All right, I'm gonna so I'll, bad. I'm gonna watch it, and I, I will be the deciding factor on if it's good or not. Because okay. like, everybody's giving it to me on both ends. I'm like enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, this is one thing. Before we move on to Godzilla, in computing. A blob is a collection of binary data stored as a single entity. Blobs are typically images, audio, and other multimedia objects, uh, though sometimes executable code stored as a blob. Blobs were originally just big amorphous chunks of data invented by Jim Starkey at DEC, who describes them as the thing at that ate Cincinnati, Cleveland, or whatever from the 1958 Steve McQueen movie referring to the blob. So Jim Starkey was referencing the movie, but not knowing where it took place. <laughs> I like the, I like the quote eight Cincinnati Cleveland or whatever, <laughs> but it is interesting because now the blob is in my phone. <laughs> he seeped in there. It's everywhere. It's part of all of us. Oh God, it's in my hair. And what's more, <laughs> Phoenixville, the town, one of the filming locations of the film, has held an annual blob fest since 2000. Activities include a reenactment of the scene in which the moviegoers run screaming from the Colonial Theater, which has been recently restored, by the way. Uh, and then the chef's diner in Downington is also restored and is open for business for photographs of the basement on weekday mornings. I want to go to Blob. Do a PRHP live show. Blob-a-thon. That'd be sick. Oh but I would want to go. I want to go to Blobathon, and I still, before I die, I'm going to a live Krampus knock. <laughs> so I have to go at so, least once. So we've got the two goals here: Krampus knock and Blobfest, and Dead mm-hmm. Snowman Days. Dead, Dead Man Days. Snowman Dead Man Days. days. Oh, wow. Yeah, Dead, Dead Man Ice Days. Or no, it's oh, just Dead Man Days. Dead man okay. Days, thank you. So, uh, I don't know why I call it Nether- Dead Snowman Days. Because it's about a dead snowman. That's very true. Um, yeah, in Netherlands, it's about uh, this guy, he frozen ice or whatever up in Netherlands, in the Netherlands, like here in Colorado. Yeah, and, Netherlands, yeah. Yeah, and they found him. And I forget why he's so significant to this town, but this dead guy was found there, and now there's a giant 
festival about them. It's a one day thing. And there's ice sculpting contest. There's ice racing where you gi- get on giant blocks of ice. Did, yeah, you lose. There's all kinds of shit. Did, did, have we thought? Did we thaw him? It's frozen dead guy days. That dead one. Guy okay. Days. Did we thaw? Yeah. Did we thaw him out? I can't remember. The, the quick, the quick, quick, I, quick on it is that Grandpa Bearda. Oh wait, is this the actual same dude that we're talking about here? Let me see. Yep, okay, so Grandpa Beardo is over 110 years old. For years, he's taken up residence in a tough shed in the hills above Nederland, Colorado, where he remains very, very, very cold. More specifically, Grandpa is frozen in a state of suspended animation, awaiting to be the big thaw, the one that will bring him back to life. There's a good story behind it, um, but basically it's all about the life after his death. Um, And so, I mean, look it up. Look up Frozen Dead Guy Day. There's way more to it than i can say on this podcast if, if, but basically but yeah dude frozen look, and ice. i'd have to look back at your catalog but you haven't done an episode on him yet have you yeah i'm actually kind of surprised we haven't if you do one, if you do one bring bring me on just to just to react to the story because sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is insane i had no idea this happened in our state <laughs> yeah yeah I, I always thought it was like a european state too to be European state. Europe, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, co- part of Colorado is a European state. We had our version of Brexit, I think. <laughs> Texas is trying. Uh, we love you, Texas. We actually have a good amount of people out there that we do, that do support the show. Well, uh, so was, we love y'all. But guess, it was a fact. It is. It is. You are right. Facts I, are facts. I, I guess I'm. I guess I'm having on tomorrow morning uh, is uh, the professor, one of the professors of multimedia studies at the University of Austin, Texas. Oh, so nice. yeah. There's there's plenty of love about Texas. Mm-hmm. Plenty of love. We're gonna move into Godzilla now. We're go- we're gonna we might be here for a second. We're gonna do a little bit of background production now. Cody, you are mm-hmm. you you have you have expounded your love of Godzilla, Matt. Yes. You texted me that you had also checked out Godzilla as well, I believe. And so this is a film that, unlike the Blob, has been in our pop culture f- almost from the moment we're born. Like we we almost know what Godzilla is almost instantly. I think the mm-hmm. blob you have to learn about mm-hmm. Godzilla though, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And you're and you talked about your first exposure to Godzilla, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming yours yours came early on too, Matt. Correct? Yeah, it, it's pretty it, it's pretty much like tip for tap for what Cody said. Except the only difference is that like I watched Frankenstein first. And then eventually moved on to Godzilla, watching mm-hmm. it with my dad. So you guys um, are cooler than me then, because my first, <laughs> well, ex- my, I mean, first, my first exposure to Godzilla in any way, shape, or form was a certain very notorious 1998 movie. Zilla? Yeah. In the theater. <laughs> with not only that, guys, a certain Mayor Ebert and his mm. assistant, Siskel. <laughs> oh, I'm Roland Demerick. I'm a genius. Um, <laughs> uh and so not gonna lie, like just quick confession, I watched that movie hundreds and hundreds of fucking times when I was a kid. Nothing mostly, wrong with it. Yeah, Nothing mostly wrong. because could we not? mostly because I just loved that scene with the coffee. He was like French roast. He goes, "What is this?" He's like, "It's French roast." He's like, "This is not French roast. He's American." Bah. <laughs> <laughs> Jean, Jean Reno was here to teach us things early on, yep. Cody. That I, that's what he was here for. I actually like him as an actor too. Oh, oh, I, I do too. love I, him. I, I Dude, love Leon the Professional, fucking yeah. the first mission of Oni Musha three. Oni Musha. You know what? That's almost I'll, I'll that's make, why I bought it. I'll make, it an, just ar- I'll make an argument Sick for him Jean in Rio, the Da Vinci yeah. Code. 
I, I like yeah. the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, he yeah. was good in that too. And I like all his movies. I, I, I'm addicted to the Langan series because it's. Yeah. I know it's not great, but I don't care. Also, <laughs> I will. I will also say that I like Zilla mostly for the end scene where it's just like Baby Godzilla is hunting down. Baby yeah. yeah, that shit was tight. It was I weird. Wanted, I did wanted a to Godzilla see movie, but I loved it. No, yeah. did, did they need to be uh, tra- tripping on to- Toys R Us balls? No, but I. I just... oh, oh, look at them! They're klutzy. Look, <laughs> they couldn't reenact the Jurassic Park raptor scene, so they had to find some way for them to get away from them that was kind of kid we'll see baby, God, baby godzilla's may like to shop at toys r us i also really like the scene with the mare when they're explaining it's like yeah the, the, it's asexual so of course it's gonna lay eggs by itself because there's no other one like it it's just like what <laughs> like how the how the like the mayor of the time was just like are you telling me he can't have sex like kind of and they're like yeah yeah yes once yes a, once just a, like frogs but once again me going to emmerich like we get it you didn't like roger ebert I <laughs> and i hope and i hope you feel guilty for that given what ebert went through later on in his life yeah. but anyway though yes. godzilla though that was my first exposure to it mm-hmm. but then i picked up this godzilla uh, in college, mm-hmm. so I, it took me a while to get to the Godzilla thing, and I still have never seen the other Showa era films past this point. Mm-hmm. But the remake Godzilla 2014 Gareth Edwards film, uh, I remember there being a lot of frustration over Godzilla's not in the movie that much, mm-hmm. and I'm like, did you watch the first movie? Yeah. So <laughs> okay, so after after I rewatched the original one for the uh, for today and everything, it actually made me truly love the new Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. And it actually has me fearful for King Kong versus Godzilla in a sense, because if you, after rewatching this, um, I, honestly, I actually highly recommend for any Godzilla fans, watch the first remake, the 2014 one, mm-hmm. watch this one and then watch King of the new King of the monsters. Yeah. Because uh, it, it, it makes a circle like it almost feels like it, it does a complete circle of the story arc of the original Toho and this version of Godzilla and the storyline that they were going on. Yeah, which which that's what I, that's the, all the indication that I was given by other fans, but also Henry Jarvis, who is the gentleman whose video I'll be sending you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I when I looked at Godzilla the first time, I was just kind of balled over by the ingenuity mm-hmm. in the film. As I've gotten older, rewatching it, especially this week, the allegory hits even better. Mm-hmm. And reading more into the director Ishiro Honda, uh, Ishiro Honda, and his uh, history made this all the more interesting. Yeah. I kind of want to give a brief rundown of Ishiro Honda. I want to talk about him more on the show. Yeah. But for the purposes of Godzilla being such a big pop culture figure, we're going to be talking about Godzilla. For the most part. <laughs> but Ashiro Honda is born in Ashahi Yamagata. Um, it is the fifth child of Hokan and Miho. Um, he got into film uh, when he and his classmates assembled to watch one of the Universal Bluebird photo plays. And these photo plays, this is a this was an American film studio that had its films distributed via Universal Pictures. Now they don't have a lot of them, but they were mainly during the silent era. And during this time, 
We talked about this with Henry on the Shan Show, the Bailiff episode. You would have the Benshi narrating the film rather than having inner titles. Mm -hmm. um, and so somebody like Honda is looking at this and going like, well, say, what if this, but no narrator off to the side? What if sound? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but he ends up going to uh, a film school, uh, to, to Nihon University, and then their art departments had a film major program. This is before World War II. <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. This is in 1931 when he's accepted. This film department was a pilot program which resulted in disorganized poor conditions and cancellations from the teacher. So the teacher was fucking off every so often. <laughs> and so rather than, than cancel his involvement in the class, Honda would use the time during canceled periods to go to the theaters and watch films himself and take notes. So when Quentin Tarantino says, I didn't go to film school, man. I went to films. So did Yashiro Honda. So it's not an <laughs> illegit. You don't technically need to spend thousands of dollars going to film schools, guys. Where you go there is to make connections with people that will last a lifetime. That's the mm -hmm. reason you go. Um, and also to ha find a friend to go to Blue Valentine with. Because that's <laughs> a... <laughs> Shout out to Ryan Johnson from a couple episodes ago because he's the one who said, we should go see Blue Valentine. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And we walked out and I was like, what the hell was, why? <laughs> what was that? It's, it's a great movie, but I was just like, man, I feel like I got the kick, the crap kick out of me emotionally. <laughs> uh, but so anyway, he and his classmates would gather after film, after school to discuss films. And he had hoped to collaborate on a big screenplay, but they mainly just socialized and drank shit, drank a shit ton. So, uh, and uh, he met the executive in charge of a production for photographic chemical laboratories um, and started working there as an assistant director. Then he is drafted into the military. And it seems for all indication, given that he would have been in Japan's military during World War II, and he was, mm. it seemed like he was not in alignment with the fascist ideals of the empire as it stood at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and fell more into the lines of, I wanted to pull him up, uh, pull up the name on this, because I, I had to kind of dig into like brief research on this guy. Um, but uh, one of the early films that he would end up directing was Eagle of the Pacific, and it was a film um, that uh, discussed Isoruku Yamamoto, which was a high-ranking official. Mm. Um, and both of them did not have the viewpoint of the empire. Mm. Um, and his experience during the war had nothing to do with the content of Godzilla, per se. However, he had received different elements of his service in, in war that traumatized him the rest of his life. Once mm -hmm. or twice a year, he would have PTSD flashbacks until his death. Um, when he gets out of the military, he starts working with director Kajiro Yamamoto. Uh, and one of the people that's above him is Akira Kurosawa. And Akira Kurosawa would end up using Ishiro Hondu down the line as a visual, uh, as an assistant director and a visualization uh, expert and consultant. One of the reasons is, and there's a, uh, on the Criterion, there's a essay by a film critic uh, from Japan who discusses that he was the grain god. Mm -hmm. If you had a piece of, even a piece of wood that needed to look like it needed an ingrain for detail and effect, he could take a cheap set and make it look realistic and lived in. Mm -hmm. He had a flair for detail. And all that flair for detail went into Godzilla. 
There is not a wasted bit of material in Godzilla. Everything no. is on screen and it is glorious. Um, the original origin of the story uh, ended up having to uh, come out of producer Tamayuki Tanaka flying home and noticing and remembering what had happened at Bikini Atoll. Mm-hmm. where we, the United States government, tested the hydrogen bomb. Mm-hmm. And during the hydrogen bomb testing, a fisherman boat uh, was the unfortunate aftermath uh, 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 victim of the H-bomb, the, um, the Lucky Dragon 5, the Daigo Ficurio Maru, where the explosion affected them exposed them to different isolated forms of radiation and ended up killing one crew member. Mm -hmm. So the producer is seeing this and going like, this is what I want an explosion that brings forth something terrible. And Mm -hmm. that's where we get Godzilla. Honda is brought on. They construct and they create a legendary character that we still talk about to this day. And we should talk about the film plot wise Mm -hmm. because one thing to note up front, we, we, won't, we won't be talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the Terry Morse edited version. Although no. something I was pointing out or uh, wanting to address is that there's a lot of discussion le- recently in regards to um, uh, uh, the treatment that Asian Americans have been receiving yeah. <laughs> uh, as a culture, not just within the last year and a half, but also within the last four years period. And uh, the the portrayal of Asian stereotypes in Hollywood movies to this day is still not what it should be. Mm-hmm. The Terry Morse version, though, even though it is re-edited and has Raymond Burr in there for some reason, uh, is more or less very respectful. It does mm-hmm. not delve into stereotypes, primarily because he's utilizing footage made by an actual Japanese director. Yeah. Um, and but I will also say that what's funny is that King of the Monsters does provide an interesting experiment side by side to watch how an American producer or director sees a product like Gojira and says, well, I could make this for an American audience. I just need an American cipher in there. That's like that's the reason you need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though it bastardizes the footage in its own way because of the editing it is the exposure point for most people for Godzilla Yeah, at that time. Um, and the plot of this film opening up, unlike in the Terry Morse version where it <laughs> opens up at the begin at the middle of the movie and goes, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah, basically <laughs> Tarantino's it. <laughs> Jesus. Um, this one opens up with the fishing boat, the stand in yeah. proxy for the lucky dragon. Everybody's having a good time. They're chilling out. And then all of a sudden they see a large flash. Well, no, they see uh, how it starts off is they see they don't see a flash. They see uh, light radiating from the water That's right. and the water's boiling. Yeah. And like, OK, not going to lie. When I like saw that scene, I was just like, eh, they're in a 
bathtub with a blow dryer. <laughs> like, that's all <laughs> I could think of because back at the, you know the times, and sure. you can kind of tell that it's in like it's a tank. Yeah, but like, sure it's Honda's still... just like look, like I know this seems silly, guys, but it's gonna look great for about fifty years until people have HD. But like it still looked cool. But yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> like <laughs> they all of a sudden they're like, oh my god, like yeah. this was supposed to be safe waters, a safe area. And here's something you notice both. I, I'm sure both of you noticed this. Like a lot of Godzilla Gojira is shot in the dark mm-hmm. like there's a lot of contrast in the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it does look and feel mysterious mm-hmm. so it's not every time you see a photograph of godzilla production still of godzilla it's always brightly lit so you can see the suit yeah you look at the most majority of this film he's covered in shadow he's covered in mist kind of yeah. like in the remake that everybody likes to trash on mm-hmm. and i'm just that's like because that's what he did the first that's time that's <laughs> exactly why it was and they even said Slap. Well, it even says like it's it's inspired by the original Godzilla movies, like when the the remake, the new one was coming out and everything. The 2014 even has slap dab as like the big thing in the poster. Toho Productions. Yeah. (laughs) Or so like right there. It's like and the thing that agitates me because I love the new ones because of how this one was shot and everything and how those old monster movies are, because you you're not supposed to see the big bad all the time or the giant monster all the time. It's the lead up to it. And then when you see it, you're like, fuck. And then it goes away because you're like, shit, that was intense. And then you see it some more. Like, yeah. that's the whole point. And then you move forward into this. This whole scene, by the way, is done with no dialogue. This whole mm-hmm. opening is done with no dialogue. Pure cinema. Visuals are purely expressing mm-hmm. the good. entirety of the origin point of what's going on. And the, as the movie unfolds, we start getting more less less oriented with the based on true events mold mm-hmm. and start moving into something out there mm-hmm. in the sea has been awakened by us, the folly of man. Yeah. And, and they even say that it's because of the hydrogen bomb and yep. why it woke up. Yeah. Like, and you we woke him up. And we get that really cool uh, scene in the uh, um, I, I guess it, it's be the, the equivocation of a Senate, a Senate committee chamber going yeah. through the, the scientific committee chamber g- going through the origin of godzilla mm-hmm. and and i remember those in the remakes when they're kind of doing those with the slideshows and i'm like this is again just right yeah. out of it um and actually i just kind of wanted to go back to that scene uh i think it was actually before when before the senate one but basically it's when they're all talking about what they're going to do about godzilla like is after his first thing and it's like all the public figures are there and some some of the public is there and there's this big, big like argument about should we tell the mass public that Godzilla exists or should we keep this under wraps until we can talk about it? And the funny thing that one God, I feel like Godzilla is way ahead of its time with female portrayals and yeah. the portrayal of females in cinema because of this scene. And also when you brought up about how the director was very against the fascist regime of how Japan was back then, yeah, you can see the you can see it in this scene. So you have the head government dudes, the men, old fuck fat dudes talking about how we need the public stupid. We need to keep this under wraps. Don't tell anyone. And then there's this woman who's in there that literally stands in the shut your fucking mouth. Tell the public that there's a giant monster destroying everyone so we could figure out what to do. And he's like, shut up. And she goes, no, you will fucking hear me. You idiot. She even calls him an idiot. She, stuff. She, like, she literally, she, and then the, and then the fat Senate guy does try to basically go like spin it on his own head and go like, well now see, this is exactly what. Yeah. And he keeps it. trying to tell her to shut up. And she's like, no, like this entire time you're the moron and the government and everyone else that like, goes, 
Yeah, maybe we should listen to the angry woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, 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 I don't, and like, I think that I find that like Amiko, uh, the character Amiko, mm-hmm. who ends up being this this conduit between Ogata and, and Sirazawa. Yeah, her too. She she ends up being this emotional core for the movie. And what's interesting about the movie is that the human drama in this film. I don't think ever gets fully replicated even in the remakes. That's the one Mm-mm. thing I will say about the remakes is Mm-mm. that the human stories don't hit the same way as this one. No. And I feel like a lot of it, hear me out on this one, is that because we are experiencing Japanese cinema for the first time, like as a mass culture and kind of exposing ourselves to it at this point, seeing a human drama from another culture's perspective and standpoint even something like a trope of, oh, I can't make it to the concert tonight because giant lizard is mm-hmm. out there <laughs> yeah. to eat people um, is such a nice small moment that does still work. Honda is very good at these intimate moments for all the mm-hmm. scale he provides. A lot of the films that he would end up doing that are, are not related to Godzilla films would be, as the critic in the Criterion documentary pointed out, like symphonic uh lyrics about youth yeah so like more intimate fair uh so he's able to blend the two in a way that most directors who carry on the legacy of godzilla don't Mm -hmm. not be not through any fault necessarily so much as just the focus has shifted um well this is going to comment about that actually is that well okay so you take the American the American remakes and we hate the human drama in right. it, like and stuff like that. And then go back even the the later on Godzilla movies with the human drama, even when it really isn't that inter- well integrated in the movies, the way the Japanese uh, studios do it is so much better. It makes you actually care about these human characters because, okay, you look at the human drama. Let's take the first Godzilla. You look at the human drama. All the human drama is literally about how are we going to come together to take down this giant threat in yeah. these ones. That, and that's how their culture is. That's how the Japanese culture is. Because, like, take that. Let's, again, the atomic bomb literally united their entire country into how can we get past this? How can we get through this? They united their entire country through that. And you see that in the Godzilla movie. But then you see these American remakes of it. And what do they fucking shoehorn in there that they think we're going to be more interested in instead of seeing the human race come together for fucking once in an American movie and taking down this giant threat? Oh, let's throw in mommy daddy issues in this little girl. Yeah. Like, I don't give a shit about that. I want to see how you're going to take down this mass threat. That's a threat to the entire cultures, you know, all our people. And then yet in these American remakes, they like, oh, American fans want to see human drama, human drama, human drama. It's like, no, I want to see how I could take down Godzilla. Yeah. And and even then, that's still not the case, because still the majority of the blowback was people wanted to see more monster action Mm -hmm. than human drama in general. Yeah. And so, you know, when you watch these original ones, it makes you care about the human drama and you get invested in it with these American remakes. They're not putting any investment in the human drama and there's no reason for you to care about it to expand on more. They did it. But they did do it too with mm-hmm. uh, Toho's uh, bringing back Godzilla with Shin Godzilla. Yeah, because they did bring it back in importance on you know the talks behind the events. Of yeah, what was happening. How can we as a, as a people take down Godzilla? And I, that wasn't even an American remake. Yeah, again, and, and you I, know? Have, I have a I have a thought to pitch out to you because there's one thing that I like that the American remakes don't try to do, and that's try to address the Hiroshima allegory. 
directly. When they yeah. reference it, they reference it in passing, but they don't ignore it. Yeah. yeah. The reason why I appreciate that the American remakes don't even try to do that is because for that to happen, they would have to first confront their own horrors in their past, and Americans yeah. aren't very good at confronting their own bullshit. It would no, probably you know, come off very pandering. I just sorry, I, just a quick little comment about that. I'm sorry. Like we're it, this is what boggles me about uh, all of this is that we're so obsessed with holding on to history, but yet we're we don't want to learn from it. You yep. know what I mean? We're, we have to preserve history. Okay, do you remember what happened and why that is? We try no. to pick it. Yeah. yeah like, no, we yeah, don't. Yeah, like we need to re- embrace World War II history. Like, okay, do you want to talk about re- Nazi rallies in Madison Square Garden, or do you want to talk about the mass internment of Japanese Americans in this country? And then everybody goes like, well, no, no, <laughs> what I, no, what, that but, never happened. It's like, are you fucking? Yes, it did. Wanna, it's still fucking happening. I want to bring it back, just really. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, you're okay. <laughs> uh, I just want to bring it back really quick, though. But like, coming back to like you know the godzilla remake um which uh, again yeah i'll say i was a fan of the godzilla remake i liked what they did it it it, i enjoyed that they had more talking in it i understand why Mm -hmm. people didn't like that but at the same time you i think there has been a huge stigma attached to uh eastern media and japanese media exclusively whether it's anime or Mm -hmm. non-anime godzilla non-godzilla you know that we we you know if if you're new to it or what's considered in in the culture as weebs um you're good you're expecting you know explosions and boobs and giant monsters and you know over the top exaggerations of themes but when you get used to that you're going to always expect that and so when you do try to you know argue say hey we need to bring it back to the original of what the original japanese creation was and you don't expose yourself to what the original japanese creation was the original ip then yeah there's going to be this really like disconnect between both audiences toward the point now we have two different godzillas we have the original og godzilla which is now you know shin godzilla and the Americanized remake buff Godzilla that we have that doesn't have a neck. Meat. Right. And, and we, <laughs> Just meat. <laughs> and we have like this thing that I, I thought of. I, I, I was thinking about this one watching the movie is, is like, I feel like not to say that this show is doing is important per se, but if you wanted to talk about like the reframe series that TCM is doing, if they were to put Godzilla on there, not necessarily to talk about anything problematic in the film, because there's really nothing problematic in this movie at all. Mm-hmm. It more would have to do with like, you know, if you, if you, if you would like to embrace media like Godzilla being expanded into the next decade on our end of the spectrum, it would behoove us to understand how Japanese cinema worked in the fifties, because a lot of it did have to do with human drama, Mm -hmm. human inner reflection coming to terms with their own history, their own mistakes in history, but also acknowledging the American, the, 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 there, there are sins that America casts upon Japan in a post-war world where, during their occupation between 1946 and 1952, they were enforcing a non-official censorship where they did not want the Japanese people reflecting badly on the Hiroshima attacks and the Nagasaki attacks. And a lot of that ended up being that once the American forces finally left, that's when the stories about Hiroshima and the effects of Hiroshima start coming out from the Japanese people themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Godzilla, I feel, is... There is an actual film called Hiroshima that is made in almost the immediate aftermath of the Americans leaving. Godzilla ends up being the uh, the mass scale 
metaphor mm-hmm. that the country that that Hishiro Hondo and the company and, and the country ends up presenting to the world and it's an allegory i'd argue that still works for most people when they choose to read into it beyond this because the majority of this film aside from godzilla which we'll talk about godzilla by the Mm -hmm. end of it but you know dr sarazawa is my favorite character in the movie oh he's great he's great first of all he's got an eye patch yeah that that adds (laughs) plus 10 coolness to any character and you're just like he could be a bond villain but he's probably fucking not or yeah pirate well like he could be a pirate yeah well like the cool thing is too when they first introduce him in the beginning like he it's almost like is he the villain like you almost like you almost feel uh for the, everyone he gives you know Imiko that, a weird look as she's leaving on the mm-hmm. ship and like and he gives you that vibe that like uh it's the, not him it's the eye patch yeah <laughs> but he gives you <laughs> but he gives you that same yeah exactly it is the eye patch but like he gives you that same vibe uh he lifts it guy. up and he hypnotizes people <laughs> yeah instead, he actually lifts it up and it's a mini Godzilla that pops out oh, like that's where they freaking awesome. it's baby Godzilla yeah that's where he came from Ishira Honda's looking at the script and he goes like I love this idea of a little Godzilla popping out of this guy's eye it might but, be a little but, too but there's weird. but there's pro- here's there's two problems number one we certainly don't have the money and number two my name is not louis benwell so yeah, <laughs> um, uh but like the cool thing about like how they did it with this guy with sirizawa was that like it kind of made you feel like he was almost like the eco the main eco terrorist dude from the king of the monsters yeah uh, it, it, yeah it, we're like he might be like his intentions are good you know like in reality in re in retrospect in reality like getting the earth back to how it used to be kind of is like yeah. a good thing but like mm-hmm. but then at the same time because he has that ominous look but at the same time you're like but he might be a good guy and then like the more you lead into his character he's because he's so overcomplicated as a character and it's great he's conflicted about yeah. his abilities as a scientist and what he creates and mm-hmm. he's like the mad scientist with a conscience a, a conscience mm-hmm. and perspective because he's supposed to be like the creator of the atomic bomb yeah and where that guy was like i created the greatest weapon ever but i don't know if i should ever use it yeah exactly and what's more the conflict that sirizawa S- S- has with giving the weapon over to ogata and Emiko, he he flat out says like look even if i burn the research a man can still be broken. Mm-hmm. And so he's only, he's fully aware of that. And the thing that does convince him is something that Honda does throughout the film is show the destruction of Godzilla, which I think the remake actually does this too very well in the different, albeit with through the form of the Johnson and Olsen characters. Yeah. But the, um, but the idea of the destruction caused by Godzilla, the scene, the imagery of, the different people laid out in beds, injured, dead. The city's literally burning. Yeah. Short of them having radiation scars. Yeah. It's Hiroshima and Nagasaki imagery. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the whole uh, implication that by the that by this point, Amiko has to make this plea to Sirizawa. And what, what moves him to that point is hearing a choir of children making the plea for 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 something better and it's a scene that if you aren't in tune with the movie's wavelength and you're only looking at this from a modern perspective you're going to find it cheesy if you are in the movie's wavelength and you are listening to it and you are getting up wrapped up in the emotion and the drama the same way a japanese audience member or even an american audience member who had access to the original version somehow 
you are going to be moved by it because it is a is it is coming from the country directly that was affected by a tragedy of this scale. Mm-hmm. They are the ones responding to the material. It's not an American version mm. telling us how to feel. That's the that's the detriment really of Terry Morris's version is is that it it comes off as a disingenuous monster movie like ripoff. Yeah, because he's not he and also and also but also I'm glad that he doesn't because it would feel even more disingenuous if he tried to do yeah. Nagasaki imagery in there and be like, no 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 Terry Terry we're we're the ones who did that yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, Sorry, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, and well, I'm glad. Actually, glad you brought that scene up. Is like the cool thing is too is like when you also when you look at it because I was a I was a huge World War II buff. Like I used to be a huge World War II nerd. Like I, back I, in high school, I, I still like kind of am. I just try to make sure that I don't interact with the wrong people on. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> and um, well, the crazy thing about that because like so another reason why this this movie also hit home for me is like I've been to Japan several times and I've been I went to both a bomb ground zero sites like you're allowed to go them i've been to both sites i've seen the destruction firsthand like what it is now and stuff they have museums uh that in one of hiroshima the one at hiroshima i went to they had a whole museum they literally had like found world war ii japanese helmets that still had skull fragments melted into there Mm -hmm. um and all kinds of crazy stuff and so like that scene the other big impact about that is Sirizawa is also like he spoke he in that scene of him finally giving in and handing over the bomb and everything to finally take down Godzilla he's actually supposed he's a dirt ah, he's made to be like the emperor at the end of World War II after the bombs went and the kids are the citizens mm-hmm. where the citizens of Japan saying we are we can't keep doing this war like they were already saying this beforehand but especially after the bombs they're like please end this yeah you know please end this and that was the emperor finally saying yeah, yeah. we're ending this like what white flags and everything finally surrendered the Americans and like and that's why it broke him so bad because like that's why I feel like he they uh he made Sirizawa as conflicted and as like you know is he a good guy is he a bad guy type thing because he was because i feel like he was supposed to be making him as the emperor of japan in that sense of like i have to choose whether do we stay in this war because of japanese pride or do we give up so i can help my citizens help my people now yeah you know and i think that that and and by the time we get to the conclusion of it because like again we'll we'll go through this and then we'll briefly well, briefly but beautifully talk about the monster himself because yeah. he is the, the <laughs> icon we love here um when they use the the weapon sirizawa goes down there he not only sets it off but then he takes his own life mm-hmm and it was like one of those revelation moments rewatching it this week going like, wow, that is a, such a fucking baller ending. Like, yeah. That's a ball. He's like, I know that they're going to get to me with my weapon. Yeah. He's like, I know they're going to make me make more. Yeah. It's like, it's, and it's like a depressing death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even to the point of watching Godzilla's depressing death, because like, and something that we'll bring up now you know, there's another doctor in the film, Dr. Yamani. Mm-hmm. And Yamani is very, very advocate, is a big advocate of studying Godzilla, which is a trope yeah. in Godzilla movies of studying the monster, studying its behavior. We also see this in other horror movies mm-hmm. that you are both aware of, of like, you know, like, well, what if we, you know... Six times! You gotta get him on our podcast! You, <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. I shot him six times. I actually, no fun fact, I also hung out with him for like 15 years. 
<laughs> I don't think we're going to get jack shit out of this boy. <laughs> Not <He'd>... yet. <laughs> yeah, he just needs a good wedgie. <laughs> I, do, I do know a young man in Cram Crystal Lake who may be able to beat the shit out of Michael to the point where he might finally talk. <laughs> It'd be like that scene with the Hulk and Loki. Puny murderer. Puny serial killer. (laughs) I I do also know another serial killer who lives in my dreams, but he won't shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be the greatest thing ever. Freddy just keeps talking, and and that's how Michael starts talking. He just looks at him and goes, Shut the fuck up! (laughs) I can't do it! I just can't do it! And everyone's like, Jesus, Michael, calm down. Fuck you! I will not calm down! Uh, um, but anyway, Dr. Yamani wants to study him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's talk about Godzilla as a monster. Much like the Japanese people, his home is destroyed. Yeah. In the original one, his home's destroyed. Yes. And so he rises up because of that. He's also now injected with radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's unfucking stoppable now. <laughs> <laughs> he's on monster steroids. Yeah. He's on. <laughs> oh, I got juiced up. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Captain America monster. Do <laughs> um, and then he, the scenes where he's destroying Tokyo, like we we talk about the the figure in the suit, we talk about the mm-hmm. actor in the suit, and um uh, and we have two different uh, actors playing Godzilla in the suit. We have Haru Har- Haruo Nakajima and Katsumi Tezuka. Um, who also both respectively played reporters in a newspaper desk man in the movie. Uh, these two actors bring... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining like Superman. So instead he's like, Godzilla shrinks down to an actual reporter and he's like, I'm reporting about myself. <laughs> like, I destroyed Tokyo. <laughs> well, I don't know, Lois. I guess we'll never know who Godzilla really is. <laughs> we'll may never know. <laughs> Tell me, Godzilla, do you bleed? (laughs) You will. (laughs) Batman v. Godzilla. Oh, my God. But since since both their mothers aren't named Martha, I think we've got a better ending in mind. Yeah, Mothra. Mothra. Yeah, it's Mothra. Why do you know that name? Why did you say that? Why why do you know that bug? (laughs) Your your mom's named Mothra, too? (laughs) Oh, I thought you said Martha. I guess we're friends now. (laughs) I guess we're kind of like sort of friends. Anyway, let's go defeat Jesse Eisenberg, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah no they the when you watch the i will ask when you watch the actor in the suit i would argue that because of the way honda shoots the film the destruction scenes it's irrelevant if he's in a suit it's absolutely irrelevant yeah um there's a scene in particular that i, I want us each to pose our favorite moment in the film with godzilla in it mine has to be when he's looking down at one point and then his use there's a bottom shot on his tail and his tail does this whip and it smacks a house down mm-hmm. and like it's one of those things where i'm just like see that is an innovation that happens in the 50s like that's an effect that you see that's even smoother today they're mm-hmm. doing it back then it's not just him grabbing at a f- clearly fake electrical yeah. uh, electrical hanger or just or, blowing smoke literally yeah. smoke in this one yeah exactly it is literally like he is destroying with all parts of his body and the uh, i wanted to bring this up the the critic of the film was talking about the way he walks mm-hmm. and he described the walk in a cultural manner he said it's the noshi noshi waddle 
for sumo wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So he's moving like an imperfect being. He's not a super speedy monster. He he alluded to the fact that the reason the Godzilla remake with by Roland Emmerich doesn't work is because that monster is too fast. And I would argue that's true because he's he there's more empathy watching Godzilla struggle through this city given the mass of his body. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing too about that struggle is that he Godzilla wasn't built for land. He's an underwater creature when you like you know about the origins of him. He's an underwater sea serpent. Yeah. Like is kind of like his thing. An underwater like salamander. I can't remember the yeah, exact yeah, desert, exactly. but yeah, but he's part that, of that in-between period yeah. between the land and sea. Yeah. yeah. And then when they talk about his land getting destroyed and everything, his home being destroyed, like that's and he's that's a whole new environment that he's in. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever gone to a brand new place and just well, you're like, all right, cool, this is new, and just zip around like running everywhere? No, <laughs> well, you kind of like wade through oh, oh. i would even yeah but i would say though uh that the metaphor of that is if we really want to even attach one is just the encroaching footprint humanity has on environment in general mm-hmm. um the more that we expand the more we build the more we encroach on, on certain environments the yeah. more animals are going to be put out of place the more they're going to appear in society and we're going to have instances where um sad instances where for example like a bear gets put down because he killed you know the neighbor's dog yeah. um and i'm not trying to be i'm sorry i don't mean to be like sad and whatnot but no, we no, can't no, not no. acknowledge it because it, it's true the more we expand as a species the uh, more likely that other species are going to have to try to figure out how to coexist with us or become, you know, remnants of the past. And I, yeah. and I, well, I mean, go, go ahead. Yeah. I was say, well, they, uh, the doc, the scientist that wants to study Godzilla yeah. literally brings that up in the movie. Yeah. He's like, we destroyed his home. We encroached in his place. How many more H-bombs are we going to put off before more Godzilla showed up? Exactly. More Godzillas. We don't even know if this is the only one. He even says that. He's like, this is the only one we see. Mm -hmm. So we should study because we don't know. This could be the only one. There could be more. So you know how the blob has the the end and then the question mark? Mm -hmm. Honda did that with dialogue. He's just like, I, you know. I need a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I got some money here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so like, that's kind of like a sequel setup without intending to be a sequel setup. Cause obviously mm-hmm. who could have told who, who could have known. And the, we would have known. well, we would, we do. Well, <laughs> we're future men. <laughs> and the, the whole idea of, uh, of, of them looking through this, like this didn't stop the one, th- this one thing didn't stop an entire thing that we have to face mm-hmm. and focus on. And I, th- what I appreciate about the film is that it, it gathers a huge amount of mass perspectives on this. Uh, we'll skip ahead to the reception, uh, to the themes receptions of this film, because Mark Jake Jacobson of New York magazine wrote that the movie transcends humanist prattle very few constructs have so perfectly embodied the overriding fears of a particular era. He is the symbol of a world gone wrong. A work of man that once created cannot be taken back or deleted. He rears up out of the sea as a creature with no particular belief system, apart from even the most elastic version of evolution and taxonomy, a reptilian id that lives inside the deepest recesses of the collective unconsciousness that cannot be reasoned with a merciless undertaker who reaches no deals. So if you really ultimately look at the 
the the the wrap up on the film as it stands with Godzilla looking the way he does in those films like I think there's a there's a disconnect that we've experienced somewhat when ex- when consuming Godzilla culture that one the suit doesn't get taken as seriously anymore because now we have a computer to kind of take care of that job for us. I mean, I still think the suits it's held up. They it, hold it, up. They man. look beautiful, and I think a lot of it has to do owes to not just the photography but the black and white photography as oh, well. Oh yeah, this is not a pro black and white versus color podcast right. uh, in terms of like what visual preference you prefer. I, I'm I'm down for whatever. You can shoot the film in kaleidoscope for all I care. Some work. Yeah, exactly. There's some like there's movies that will not work in black and white. Yeah. And then there's some movies that just don't work in color. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the new Godzilla needs to be in color because yeah. of certain schemes are doing here. But here or he, Steve McQueen in color. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> if they had shot it in black and white, I might have looked a little bit younger. I might have looked six dude. <laughs> yeah. But he the they 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 the amount of enter- detail and precision in that imagery to hide the monster unless when needed and to kind of create the scope of Japan under attack is such a remarkable feat that when you watch it, you see the spark being lit that was, frankly was first initially lit by Marion C. Cooper with King Kong mm-hmm. uh, and Ernest B. Shotzak. And then you have Godzilla, and then that keeps spinning. That ball is still spinning ever onward to today mm-hmm. because now the destruction of a city has taken on the form of post-9-11 reflection or some would argue obsession over the imagery of that of that day and yeah. how we process it via superhero movies or Godzilla remix. Yeah. Um, and But it's interesting that these these terrifying things that we experience in the real world, the best way that we've been able to dissect them and break them down in a culture is through sci-fi or horror tropes. These have always been the ultimate way to address our deepest fears. There's a reason why uh, the, the Godzilla remakes, I would argue, still work and people will still go to them is because there is enough imagery of destroyed cities that we've seen in our recent history, mm-hmm. even on our end, to tap into. Now, mm-hmm. whether or not you think about it too much or you lay too much into it is a personal pace, case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But I'd argue that that imagery, one of the goals of this show is to talk about how things influence the, fu- the, the future mm-hmm. and what we see today. And I'd argue that Godzilla is one of those ultimate examples that influences virtually every aspect of the modern film that currently dominates the box office Mm -hmm. dominates the popular culture and dominates the popular conversation. And rightfully so I'm not an art house podcast. I'm a (laughs) film podcast and film is anything. It can be a Marvel movie and it can be the Irishman. It can be both guys. It's not a fucking competition. And, um, and Godzilla I think is one of those elements that is a testament to that idea. There's an art house film inside of this monster movie Mm -hmm. and it's fucking wonderful to watch. Um, and I think we should talk a little bit about the reception of the film because the film is first released in 1954 on October 27th in Nagoya. Uh, and then a week later, it was released nationwide on November 3rd, 1954. Um, and it kept playing into theaters catering to Japanese Americans in predominantly Japanese neighborhoods in America. And then an English subtitle version was shown at film festivals in New York and Chicago and other cities in 1982. There's an 84-minute cut of the Japanese version that was released in West Germany in 1956. 
Uh, and then this version removes the Japanese parliament argument, acknowledgement of Godzilla as the child of the H-bomb and references to Hiroshima and Nagasaki and an altered translation of the mother holding her children, uh, which is a very, which is a major scene. Like, yeah, taking these things That's out. That's super important. Yeah, I know. And I think that a lot like of that. Like that has, takes out the whole heart of the movie. And that I, scene sets up everything. I think it being released in West Germany, that seems to hold water with the, um, the same thing that Japan had to deal with, with its occupying forces, mm-hmm. because then you're talking about the East and West Berlin politics. Mm-hmm. And then, and so, but then again, as we said, the King of the Monsters, adaptation for the american rights um toho sold the american rights to joseph e levine a noted producer um and he bought these rights for twenty five thousand dollars and then and the heavily altered version was released in the united states as godzilla king of the monsters on april 27 1956 so two years later they trimmed this movie down to 80 minutes so they only really removed 15 minutes but they feature new footage with raymond burr (laughs) Uh, and body doubles mixed with Honda's footage to make it seem like he is a part of the original Japanese production. <laughs> oh my god! So it's kind of like Kung Pao into the fist. Yeah. <laughs> Except <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and Honda was unaware that Godzilla had been re-edited until Toho released it in Japan. That version in May of 1957 as Monster King Godzilla, and Toho converted the entire film from its original scope to a widescreen 235 aspect ratio, which resulted in an awkward crop for the entire film. Japanese subtitles were given to the Japanese actors since their original dialogue differed gratefully from the original script then were dubbed in English. Oh my God. <laughs> since the release of the film, Toho has adopted the moniker King of the Monsters for Godzilla, which has since appeared in all official marketing, like anything, including the most recent sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are still ingesting Godzilla to this day, and we're still giving it money. This money, uh, in its initial run in Japan, sold nine point five or nine point six million tickets, and it was the best eighth best attended film in Japan that year. And it earned a distribution rental income of one hundred eighty three million yen, which ends up being one point six million dollars in the U.S. During a limited re-release in North America, the film grossed $38,000 on its opening weekend and grossed $412,000 by the end of a limited run. This is in 2004. In 2014, they re-released it. It grossed $10,000 after playing in one theater in New York and grossed $150,000 by the end of its run. So this movie's still making money. This version. Good. Mm -hmm. Not just the other ones. Mm. Not even the ones where they have... Other monsters. The, the, the beast, you know, yeah. the one who killed beauty. Yeah. Or no, no, beauty killed the beast. Twas beauty that, that killed, killed the beast. Robert Armstrong told me that. Jack Black taught me that. All I can say, stupid monkey. <laughs> that would have been a great way for Peter Jackson more, to end it. Really, <laughs> yeah, I just was, some kid, right? I was a stupid gorilla. <laughs> I was more so expecting for uh, uh, Jack Black at that point when King Kong was on the stage to go up to King Kong as he's breaking out of the chains and whatnot and uh, pull out a, 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 a guitar and be like, 
Um, a long ass fucking time ago on a town called Kickapoo. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's when you see Andy Circus as Kong lose his shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was we are the day. Gorilla. We are the day. We are the day. We are the day. We are the day. We are the okay. <laughs> um, and now the critical response in Japan, there were people in Japan who were thinking this movie's gonna flop. Movie's gonna not do anything. It's always naysayers. And initially, the reviews were mixed to negative. Japanese critics accused the film of exploiting the widespread devastation that the country had, country had suffered in World War II, as well as the Dago Fukuyama Maru incident that occurred a few months before filming began. Honda lamented years later in the Tokyo Journal that they called it a grotesque junk. Uh, called it grotesque junk and said it looked like something you'd spit up. I felt sorry for my crew because they worked so hard. Honda also stated at the time they wrote things like this movie is absurd because such giant monsters do not exist. Honda believed that Japanese critics were kind of just starting to change their minds because they started getting reviews out of the States. But I want to go back to that quote. Say, well, good thing they're all dead now. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Honda years later smoking a cigarette going like, but guess who's still alive, bitches? Yeah. <laughs> guess who's still making money? <laughs> you want Godzilla 15? I'll fucking give it to you. <laughs> you think that allegory is going to go away? Guess what? It's, it's fucking not. Because yeah. guess what? History shows again and again how nature points out the folly of man. Godzilla! Godzilla! <laughs> and then he starts God, singing the Blue Oyster no. Cult. There we goes are the G, Tokyo! We are the G, we are the G, we are the G. Go, go, Godzilla! <laughs> and so this film, internationally, on Rotten Tomatoes, from a current standing, it has 93%, which I think is 7% short. Yeah. <laughs> the shop around the corner has 100%. I think we can easily give 100% to Godzilla as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, both are great movies. Mm-hmm. They just need to have the same rating as all. Well. Uh, but their consensus is more than straight monster movie fare. Gojira offers potent and sobering post-war commentary. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, this is this is something that's gonna make me frustrated and also maybe happy that Roland Emmerich made fun of Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun Times awarded the film one and a half stars out of four, calling the film equally idiotic as the nineteen fifty six cut. Ebert criticized the effects as looking crude, feeling the effects of the nineteen thirty three King Kong film were more convincing, and concluded that this is a bad movie, but it has earned its place in history. Um, okay, I'm just gonna say the original Kong is trash compared to oh, Godzilla. Well, the, I think they're. I the think I, I think okay. I'm just going by the effects. Okay, well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll play. I think Godzilla holds up better, okay. in my opinion. I love the effects in King Kong because mm-hmm. sp- stop motion fascinates me to the ends of the earth. And learning about it at a young age, every time I watch King Kong, doesn't matter. Obviously, that film has a lot of issues with stereotype natives. Mm-hmm. It, believe me, mm-hmm. it gives me the shudders every time I see it, especially the cook as well. But yeah. when you watch King Kong come to life, it there is something still magical about it, just like I'd argue that there's still magic with Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I think Roger Ebert is among those people I'm referring to when it comes to just looking at it as a suit. Yeah. I rather look at it as a symbol. Yeah. A metaphor. Almost as if what the director wanted and not <laughs> what you're only able to see with your own one eye. Because I get it. You're doing a weekly review show. 
you know, you're not going to always ingest, I don't know, proper film theory all the time because you might just, I don't know, think that one genre is uh, not to your liking. And so you're just going to trash on most of it and not retroactively re-review Night of the Living Dead after you trashed it and tried to get it banned and <laughs> said, and riled a bunch of parents up for no reason. God damn it. I, I, I love Roger Ebert as a critic and as a film theorist, but there are some opinions of his where I'm like, I'm sorry, I think you are... F- further from the mark than anybody else could possibly be. Still a very important film critic from the perspective of introducing international cinema, mm-hmm. which is interesting that he, he must have not seen this in the same light as other international cinema. And I think that that can lead us into our wrap up is, is that this film in particular has its benefit of having an international influence to where there is a, a, an, a chance to meld art into blockbuster fare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that that's becoming more important as if we're trying to move the genre beyond just the formula that we get from a superhero movie or anything like that. We do have to start looking at how to progress it forward by looking back at the examples that have already been given to us. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do them beat for beat, but you have to tap into the same energy. Um, and I'd argue also, as much as the blob, I'd prefer to have more innovation going forward and not just relying on sky beams. Yeah. Maybe give me a blob to fight Iron Man. Yeah. You know, something like that. I don't know. Something something unique that I can honestly point to it and say I've never seen that before. I mean, Suicide Squad had the original potential. Because did. did you ever hear the original script for it? I did. Yeah. yeah the gang warfare, what it was supposed to be. <laughs> Instead, they went with Cody, the laser Cody, beam in the sky again. Cody, I defended Batman v Superman by seeing it three times in the theaters and advocating that even though the Martha thing was trash, it was still a fun movie. And I my my opinion on it has not held up. The first time I saw Suicide Squad as it stood in the theater, I walked out and I was just like, oh, I've got to be mean on the podcast, don't I? See, I was super baked when I first saw Suicide Squad, oh. so I enjoyed it. Then I saw it a second time and I wasn't as, and then I saw it a third time with my mom and I was completely sober and I was just like, what is this? <laughs> but Batman v Superman, I only saw the the unrated director's cut, the, the extended okay, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Okay. I, except for the Martha scene, that one scene, I actually like everything else about it. That's I think fair. the fight was the fight scene that Batman and Superman had is probably one of the best fight scenes ever had because it was such a slog. Because one, Batman's old, and two, Superman didn't want to kill him. Nope, he didn't. So he, you can see the entire fight scene. This is why I, I shit on people about who hate on Superman and stuff like that. It's like you can see Henry Cavill and his Superman literally every time he's about to hit rack batman he's like you see him slow down for a quick second so he doesn't kill him yeah exactly (laughs) so i want to say for our wrap up you brought to you both brought really fun films from the past Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you see uh i know we've talked about where you see the influence today in fact a lot of this episode has been thankfully dedicated to talking about the parallels between the past and the present Mm -hmm. How would you sell these films to people in terms of going in blind? Like how, like how would you pitch it to them? Like, let's say um, uh, somebody who's not as versed in cinema past uh, before the seventies, how would you sell these films to them? I guess I would tell them how I would tell anybody to watch a horror movie that I think is worth watching is that, you know, I guess if, if it's uh, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to do both uh, in set because I feel like if I try to make them they're both respective it's going to be too long but 
if you want a good horror movie that isn't going to just like fill you with nightmares and make it hard for you to sleep at night, but it's still going to give you something fun to watch, something that's unique and outside of what you've experienced before, then check these movies out. Uh, even though that they might be a little bit of a slog here and there because they are older movies, the, what they have inside of them is so fruitful uh, that investing in it it is it, just worth your time. I mean, if you don't watch these movies, you're you're missing out. Pure and simple, you're missing out on history. You're missing out on rich film history, and you're missing out on where a lot of popular modern horror got its influence and inspiration from. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Cody, and I, I think you've already you've kind of already given this answer a lot, but do like please sell sell Godzilla, to, the original Gojira, to to a to a modern audience, to the uh, future. I mean, Talk I to just, your future son. I was just gonna say it's a giant monster that destroys cities. <laughs> what else do you need? But, uh, <laughs> no, like if I was gonna sell, especially the original Godzilla, like I, uh, of course, I'd be like, okay, so for one, more than likely, I'm gonna be like, I feel like I'd be talking to someone who's kind of getting into becoming a film buff, and that's why I'd be like, you need to watch the original Godzilla because you're gonna see all the tropes in modern horror movies, like coming from that movie like you're gonna see the whole like build up to the big reveal of the monster or the killer and how it would like and how it came out of nowhere because you saw him in broad daylight for the first time really quickly his head popping up over Mm -hmm. that shit it was great do you have the criterion the criterion the the criterion edition of the film at all oh i watched it on hbo okay Okay. the criterion like they did a restoration of the Mm -hmm. transfer and that scene that that special effects plate looks amazing yeah it's by comparison to like other effects plates that you see like Mm -hmm. oh god it's wonderful but yeah anyway keep going yeah yeah uh if you want to see it like uh, a movie that kind of just like started all of our a lot of our modern tropes and everything and also but i would also like and also if you want to see a good horror monster movie that could really make you feel as long as you know uh, make you feel like if you want to actually have the feels for a monster movie i would recommend this version of godzilla because you're gonna have the the love the quote-unquote love triangle between the two scientists and um oh what's her name oh amiko amiko like you you see her conflict in between uh doing what's right by dr sirizawa or her husband and then you're also going to get the great destruction scenes of seeing godzilla go through and destroying these uh these models and everything and it just holds up so well like yeah yeah, and uh, and biggest thing is like especially if i'm going to talk to someone who's kind of more of casual i'm like look you want a fun romp where you know what's going on and you're going to have fun with it anyways Go watch the original Godzilla because you're gonna feel like a ten year old stomping on all your old Legos or your old toys and stuff like that again. Which connects to what Matt referenced mm-hmm. with the blobs. Um, yeah, and no, you're no, you're go- no. I was gonna say because you brought up the same point with the blob. Yeah, and that and that to me is something like we're gonna wrap up here. And the one thing I was gonna say, I want to try to pitch these in a way that captures your guys's enthusiasm for them because I think that that's. I, I appreciate that you brought these two because there is an element of having fun when dissecting old films and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be purely analytical. Obviously with Godzilla, we talked about a heavy metaphor. Yeah. And very- and I would, I, sorry, just thinking about it. I would also just say like, if you're not really into horror movies, if you're kind these of like two great starting if, spots, if you're not into modern horror, if you're not, if you've been shown a horror movie or something horror like, by a friend or spouse or a family member 
and it traumatized you or scared you and you are and you're just a little nervous getting back into it first of all i want to say this it's totally okay that happens to all of us we've been there before i myself have but if you watch these two movies next time you get asked to watch a horror movie and they ask you what your references are you can totally just walk in with some elitist type shit and be like fucking yeah. gojiro man 1954 and the blob <laughs> like yeah you lay that blob. shit you lay that shit down on any horror elitist they'll they'll back I will, off i will say though with regards to selling the films though um and and then that element of like recommending it to people who aren't into horror or whatever I would here's how I here's how I would do the blob. Ultimately, the blob when you watch it, even if you are not into horror and even if you're not into monster movies for that matter, if you are looking for a slick 82 minutes to watch a a a, a piece of the past and a piece of what was so popular to people around your age range or a little bit above at a certain point in time, it would give you an an educated example as to why a drive-in was so popular. This mm-hmm. movie would be so much fun at a drive-in. You could oh, hoot yeah. and holler and have mm-hmm. so much fun hanging out with Steve McQueen in his Fast and Furious car fighting a pink jelly blob. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to think that that's you know, less artistic than something like Godzilla, but... I think that ultimately, like one of the things you'll also see in the blob is you'll see the origin point for a lot of monster films that get either remade in the eighties or established in the eighties that have become your favorites. And it's not to say like, well, the original's better because it did it first. It's more like, no, but watch what they did first. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's similar to watching the thing from another world before you watch the thing. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that the thing from another world is better because it's not, but, <laughs> uh, it, uh, but it is also to be like, imagine what it's like being John Carpenter sitting down watching that and saying, well, I'd like to do my version of Who's Knocking at My Door, the mm-hmm. original story, mm-hmm. or asking Chuck Russell to be like, hey, tell us what it was like sitting down as a young kid watching The Blob for the first time, and why would you even want to go to this material? And you'll probably get a smart answer out of Chuck Russell because he's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with Godzilla, you know, we we kind of talked about it a little bit, but we are, we're in a very weird place where hate crimes are up against Asian Americans again, again, and lock the shit out. Like it's not like, that's the most disappointing thing is like, this isn't even the first time it's again. Yeah. And this is, this is something that I want to say. It's not that there's, these are related to the themes of Godzilla, but here's something I would want to point out. It can too. I think that empathy is a lost art. And I think if you want to understand what a culture has been through and have to understand that if you think that your life has been hard at certain points to look at another culture and empathize and understand that there's no reason to hate somebody because of the color of their skin or their or, or their or, or or any other thing about them that makes them different from you um, is looking at a film like a Godzilla or a movie like Sancho the Bailiff and in, engaging with another culture and understanding from another perspective about a culture, considering the fact that something like Godzilla is the result of American action in the first place, I would feel that if you were going to watch a film like Godzilla for the monster effects, that's awesome. That's totally what you need to do. I would also challenge you, given what the world we are living in right now, to watch a film where a Japanese filmmaker is handling a Japanese crew 
with Japanese actors to tell a story that is related to his land that doesn't have to do with Mickey Rooney putting on yellow face, <laughs> which comes out around in the same period. There's a lot of stereotypes that are going to be addressed on this show going forward, but I'm very happy that the first two instances of Japanese cinema that we have discussed have been positive portrayals so that you do know that they do exist and they are out there. Yeah. That being said, I'm going to rake some people over the coals coming forward with the John Huston series um, while still understanding why these films are there. We're going to be talking about them. And I think that it is good to watch a movie like Godzilla as a perspective on another culture, and more importantly, how they may feel about us, as well as how they feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and what's more, Godzilla is also a beacon of good time at the movies. Mm -hmm. I think there is no greater joy, metaphor and analogies aside, there is nothing like watching a big, big lizard creature <laughs> smacking the shit out of a city. <laughs> if you remove the allegory and you remove the dramatic intent, God damn it. I loved Godzilla King of the Monsters last year. The more I think about it, the more I love that movie because it was a fucking blast. And it had Bear McCrary covering a really fun Blue Oyster Cult song at the end. <laughs> and you know, it's also, sorry, I just wanted to throw in about like, you know, how I brought up the whole, it brings a circle in with this original one and like how you should watch the 2014 and then the, the original and then the new one. So. They kill the original Godzilla with the oxygen destroyer. Yeah. And then in, and he was created by the atomic bomb, you know, the H bomb. And yeah. then they and Sirizawa kills himself after killing Godzilla in the new one. He kills himself to save Godzilla. Yep. And it did it because he had to save him from his own creation. Because he created the Oxygen Destroyer, which almost killed Godzilla, which almost fucked the Earth with Ghidor King Ghidorah. And then he's like, no, I got to make this right. And he does it. And he like does full circle. He he, sa he kills himself to save Godzilla instead it's, of killing himself to kill Godzilla. It's why Ken Watanabe is fucking amazing. So good. <laughs> um, Matt, Cody, thank you for coming aboard this, talk, this show to talk. Yeah. I want you boys back for some more monster fair or some more horror fair. I actually may want to, I may be suggesting some titles to you within the week okay. um, yeah. just to be like, Hey, Hey, I, I, you gave me some good ones. Now let me see if I can tempt you with these, but I'm going <laughs> to go through my library and figure one out. Um, and really quickly, please let everybody know where they can find the punk rock horror podcast and all of your wonderful work. So, yeah, so we're pretty much available wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google play, iTunes, um, I think iHeartRadio still CB um, Radio, CB Radio, yeah, more likely. Coming hey, soon. you never know. Um, yeah, so just you can search us up on Google as well, and you'll find us very easily that way. Um, the easiest way to keep up with everything we do is just like us and follow us on Facebook, Punk Record Podcast, there or on Twitter at official PRHP or on Instagram, Punk Rock Horror Podcast, hashtag PRHP Podcast. And just a quick, again, like overview of what we do and who we are. Every other week, we come out with two episodes, one on our Tuesday episode where we talk about a certain subject that's related to horror or is part of the history of horror in general. What we're doing this year and going forward is bringing on guests to help expand on these topics. Um, on our Friday episodes, we also review two horror movies that are in relation to our Tuesday theme and also go into things that we love and hate as well and are featuring music on both episodes. And we do also have band showcase episodes where we bring on local underground uh 
punk bands from here in Denver and across the world to give them a leg up, give them some more promotion, and give you some new music to check out as well. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be uh, uh, bands like local, uh, any local artists, writers, directors, actors. If you got pro- horror projects that you're working on and want to get it out there, you know, hit us up and we can get you an interview or something. Absolutely. And lastly, if you want to follow either of us respectively, you can follow me on Instagram at the Dead Matt and Cody on Twitter at Krampus Cody. Lovely. Wonderful, guys. And this is going to wrap it up for the Ballyhoo this week. First of all, you need to listen to Matt and Cody's show, Punk Rock Horror Podcast, because you are going to get even more of these insights from them, not just from any of the monster movies or horror movies they may have watched in the past, but also learn some more about music, learn some more about the recent, recent culture, Learn some more about video games from Cody. Learn some more about learn some more philosophical notions from Matt. <laughs> Listen Is to that what every, you call it? That, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm kidding. Ba- it's nicer than to think. Bullshit. <laughs> 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 but no, please, please listen to them. They've they've had some wonderful discussions over the past, not even just about like pop culture stuff like that. But you guys have talked about real serial killers, which has been most interesting to listen to. <laughs> yes. um, I got a good one coming up. I'm yeah, so excited to you, talk about you this are, serial you're killer. You're going to really like this next one. And oh. she like, I swear to God, if they I really wish we could go back like to the 90s or even early 2000s because or whenever Kathy Bates was in her like just heyday because she would have been the perfect casting for this serial killer. Misery it's, heyday. Yeah, misery. Like basically like take that kind of character of misery and then just like make her more of a southern draw, like southern belle and Oh my god, it would have been perfect casting. Oh my god, I'm excited for this. I can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be good. And then uh, for the Ballyhoo, you can find us uh, at Ballyhoo Review Pod on Instagram, at Ballyhoo Pod on Twitter. Um, on the next, ep- we've got a couple of interesting conversations coming up in the future here. First of all, um, uh, the next episode will be Sullivan's Travels with Dr. Kathy Fuller Seeley from the University of Austin, Texas, and also one of the attendees at my uh, Jack Benny cinema panel where we had Leonard Malton on. She was the other uh, panelist on that, and she will be coming forth to talk about Sullivan's travels and depression era cinema. Um, so, but um, And then as far as uh, additional conversations, we'll be talking about a matter of life and death in the future going forward. We will have the Irene Dunn double, special, uh, double bill special where we talk about Showboat and My Favorite Wife. And at some point in August... Mr. John Houston's series will begin. The show will be called The Gambler's Creed, a John Houston series. We're going to be talking about a director who, amongst other things, was crazy enough to try to kill an elephant on the set of The African Queen. <laughs> but also had a but also had a rich legacy beyond just that, but also a lot of interesting issues to talk about within modern context. But stay tuned for the legendary John Houston series. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, good night.
This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Pod and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. That's R E V U E. Our theme was composed by Maddie Ghost. Be sure to check him out on Twitch for more of his music. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Be sure to watch his YouTube series, Chewing the Scenery. This is Zach, signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. <laughs>